greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. to the Make Remake Literary License Podcast episode with Keith Shago and co-hosts Vicky Ray and Steve Templeman, discussing the original film and the remake, looking at what was improved upon, where they went wrong, and whether anything lives up to the original. Don't forget to have your say by commenting or sharing links, or just follow us below. Now on with the show! in the stars. Now just look down and worry about our place in the dirt. Hate is bad. Life's too short to be pissed off all the time. It's just not worth it. Life. See, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hello, welcome to the Trail License Podcast and our Make Remake episodes. And we'll be covering The Shining from 1980 and the 1995 miniseries called The Shining, written by Stephen King. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. we got Matthew Brockmeyer with us. Hello, Matthew. Hello, hello. Please and we got here. Joe Randazzo. Hello, Joe. Hey, everyone. How are you? And Vicky Ray. Hello, Vicky. Hello, everybody. Hey, my name's Keith Shago. Before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to since last time we spoke to you. And I think most of these people we actually saw just last week. So starting with you, Matthew, <laughs> what have you done for the past week? <laughs> oh, saw the Batman. That was pretty fun. Was I like it good? It. Well, it's very film noir. It's very, it's, it's not your typical super... Uh, to be upfront and honest, can I'm you not bring a kid? Guy. Can you bring? Yeah, I brought a kid? my sixteen-year-old. I got a nine. Hey, could kid. you bring a kid? Yeah, I think so. It might be a little boring. It's kind of really. Slow I heard it's just really. It's really. I heard it's not like Batman. Batman. It's not an action movie. That's that's the thing. Right. So yeah, okay. like if you bring a younger kid, yeah, the young. I, I was actually telling a friend that I'm like, you try to bring your kid to this, they might be bored because it's yeah, not okay. like point taken. I'll massive go watch it alone. fights every five minutes. There's a lot of. Right. Um, a lot of the, they focus a lot on the detective work and stuff like that. I love it, but it's very dark. Very it's like dark. Really younger. I expect yeah, them like, to bust out the uh, like magnifying glass, like or the Sherlock Holmes. Was it really a mur- like a murder mystery? <laughs> it is. A, it's a murder mystery. Oh, it is. Okay. See, I did yeah. not see, notice that's how, that. Ba- that's how Batman started. Batman started as Batman the Detective Comics. That's how DC got its name. Yeah. Detective Comics. The world's greatest. Really? Detective. I did not know that. See, I learned something new every day with you guys. Yeah, I mean, it, this is this is more of a more of a detective story, kind of a political thriller in a way too, because it's dealing with the mayoral uh, the mayoral election. So yeah, there's um, this is the kind of thing like yeah, it, it might bore your kids, <laughs> you know. Your, but your you kids. guys liked it though. Yeah, yeah I'm not I a superhero a- person at all in any way either. 
I really? like the Avengers. I, thought you were. I could care less. I don't. Not I I was until I realized Marvel. Well, until I left um, uh, Avengers Endgame, and I re- and I realized that Marvel just made me pay for the same fucking movie again. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm done with these. That's the last one I saw in the theater. And I loved I, I, Endgame, though. God, I love that movie. It was exactly the same movie as the one right before it, though. Like yeah, literally exactly the same, except the end. The end fight ends in a different way. That's really all. That's I true. I never really thought of that. Um, but yeah, this this one might be like if you bring your kids, they might be a little bored by it. Um, I was. Just, I want to go see Jackass. You know, see his mom lets him watch Jackass once in a while. But I was wondering about this one. Eh. I saw the new Jackass. Did you see the new one? Yep. There's no turd volcanoes and stuff, are there? Oh, dude, there's full full male frontal nudity as soon as it begins. <laughs> As soon as it begins, uh, Steve-O is sitting there naked, and they put um, a queen bee on the end of his dick, and the whole beehive just swarms oh his crotch, God. and he's, like, swinging his dick, and it's just filled with bees. I mean, that's the opening. That's, like, the very oh first Oh, my God. Drop. I've got to go see it. I love Jackass. I'm just one of those weird women, I guess. They're old. They're my, or they're our age. I think they're even yeah, older they're than age. us. Yeah. It's crazy. Any books going on before we move on to Joe? I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll go watch the Batman. I am a Batman. I, I, I'm not a superhero person, but I am a Batman fan for some reason. I quite like the dark. Person. I love the the, yes. the different universes. And Me I, and Asher are watching Loki last night. I'm hooked. I love it. But I even, I even like the Batman villains as well because there's more of a storyline behind them. You know, Poison Ivy and or you know, environmentally. There was no uh, kind of you know how like a lot of them will have like a really over the top or even like with poison ivy a supernatural kind of thing. There was none of that. Like the none penguin is just like a straight up gangster. He he didn't even look like a penguin. You know? Well, he was supposed to be a straight up gangster, weren't they originally? Well, he was. I mean, in the animated series, penguin is a gangster. I got to start watching the animated I mean, series. And, and the Riddler is basically Jigsaw. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's oh just, God, he's really? Nerd, yeah. isn't he? he's just some kind of yeah. This, this one's very dark. It's a very it's PG thirteen, but it's more geared towards adults than kids. So, yeah, that's go go into it with the right mindset. Don't go into it expecting fights every ten minutes. And yeah, the fights are brutal. Like I I, I remember the first two fights. I don't remember there being a score at all. So it's just like, you just hear like bone crunching. It's, it's pretty, it's a pretty brutal little movie, little movie, three hours is a little movie. It's a pretty brutal movie. Long one. He's like sliding around listening to Nirvana with his hair in his eyes. Is he? Yeah. It's so funny. He's always, I felt like my mom or something. I'm like, get your hair in your eyes. Get your hair out of your eyes. (laughs) Isn't that terrible how we turn into our parents? We really do. He looked exactly like Trent Reznor. It's funny. <laughs> he Does did. Robert I didn't Pattinson even notice that. Huh? Does Robert Pattinson, do you think he does a good job then? I liked him. Yeah, so did I. I My heard a lot of good him. things about him in the role. I haven't seen, I haven't even seen a, the trailer yet. I'll probably do that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was telling somebody, uh, somebody at work that uh, asked how, how it was. I was like, uh, if the Batman that we're used to, growing up in the eighties and nineties and stuff was the, uh, the Batman that uh, lost his parents uh, and, and is traumatized from that. This is, this is a Batman who in his youth experienced nine 11 and the financial meltdown of the late two thousands. Do they so, mention that? 
they don't mention it, but I'm but like, you can is, tell it's more contemporary. This, is, kind this of. generation's Batman, which is not only did he did he have the trauma of losing his parents, he had the trauma of all this stuff, like everything that, everything that somebody happened. around my age would have, because like the fi- like the financial systems kind of collapsed in late 2008, as I'm like in my mid 20s, and um, 9/11 happened when I was in my early 20s. So it's somebody from my generation who's like, oh shit, the world sucks. Yeah, because th- my entire adult life, the world has sucked, and that—that's the Batman we're getting for this. So he, he actually fits. Well, kind of placed. Well. I grew up in the seventies. It wasn't any better then. Let me tell you. The seventies. Seventies. I remember gas lines and. Yep. And, uh, every other day, I remember odd and even days for gas. I remember you had an odd or even day you could get gas. Bruce Wayne's main character arc in this new film is learning of his own privilege. The Catwoman comes to him and she's like, you know, look at all these because you see the district attorney and he's like this white guy and he's like doing these weird new drugs in a strip club. And she's like, all these guys have white privilege and that's how they got all their jobs. And, he, and then when he finally talks to the Riddler, the Riddler's like, you know, I was an orphan and I was a real orphan. I was in an orphanage. I was beaten. I had to fight. I was hungry. He's like, you think you were an orphan? You think that you were traumatized? You don't know what it's like. You're in a, in a mansion with a with a butler. Yeah, true. So it, and he's like realizing his privilege, and um, and and Pattinson does a great job of that. He's got that emo emo. He is kind of emo, isn't he? Oh, it's it's a really emo film. And uh, really, oh yeah, oh, wow, yeah. okay. But uh, it's definitely we, we, woke. Quote unquote, whatever. We, we need to watch before we drift into spoilers on this, too. Yeah, you guys are probably going to ruin it <laughs> for me. Sorry. So. Yeah, we. Yeah, sorry, that's, I kind of like to know, though. That makes thought. me more interested in seeing it. So, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely got its uh, it, it's definitely more of a mystery. More. Of, I mean, it's 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 unraveling uh, by the minute. Like it's two hours and 53 minutes or something like that. That's a go to the bathroom one. before you go into the theater, because you're not going to be able to really leave because they're if really something. Yeah, you, you. There's a potential to miss something. So there's that. Dark shadows, miss something, you're screwed. <laughs> That's why I never joined your Dark Shadows podcast. Because by the time I, I joined, I, I saw some episodes as a kid, but I'm like, I would have to like watch like the entire thing up to where you guys are. We're up to, to like it. Like, episode nine hundred and something. I think we're getting to thousands. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm, I'm never going to be able to jo- to join the the Dark Shadows podcast at this point. If you cover the movies, maybe because I can watch those in a weekend. But yeah, I love the movies. <laughs> I'm like a thousand episodes behind you guys on the, on the show. Well, we'll be fin- We'll be we'll hit like episode twelve hundred by the end of the season. Yeah. So. How many were just a ghost story? The very beginning is just ghosts, right? Before, no, they were um, going to cancel it because it was boring, and then they got a ghost, and that made everything interesting. So. They caught on, you know, because they got that. Was it Josette was the ghost? The beginning. Josette was the ghost. Yeah. Yeah, And then it blew up when uh, Jonathan Fridge joined. He came in around episode 208 and the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where it really blew up is when you get when you get Barnabas. Yeah. 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 And what about yourself, Joe? What have you been up to? Um, Work is busy again. Like this last week, I. I worked a lot. I, I worked all day on Sunday, then got up on Monday, threw in the shining, <laughs> then watched the 97 shining, then watched the phantom carriage and watched. Dr. Oh, Steve. I still got to finish the phantom carriage. Thank you for turning me on to that. 
What a beautiful piece of cinematography. That is. is excellent. Even I love that silent shit now. I mean, I have such a big appreciation for it because everything is such shit out of 2021, especially. And when you turn on that and you see 1921, it's like, you know, the let the Mormon Tabernacle Choir sing. It's just beautiful. Well, yeah, basically, I just spent the last week at work and the Overlook Hotel in a way. And you were right about the axe thing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So yeah, basically, I've been uh, I've been watching these movies on my days off, and then and then working. So next week, I'll uh, have uh, more of a life <laughs> until the NCAA tournament starts, and I'm at work all day for like. Oh every God, day. is that coming up? That's next week. Wow. Oh, right, stuff, Vix. What have you been up to? Not a lot. Um, uh, Asher's on. They get like two weeks off for spring break now. Do you guys ever remember getting two weeks off for spring break? Man, how do they rate? Like a week and a half, I think I got. I used to get. No, not me. We got a week. And that was it when I was in college. Well, maybe two weeks in college. But I um, watched. I've been finding. I don't know if it's because of what's going on in the world, but I've been finding a lot of Nazi dead movies lately. What did I watch? I watched Nazi Undead. It was a ghost Nazi. There's nothing worse than Nazi zombies or Nazi ghosts because they're one, they're Nazis, and you know they're evil, and you know no matter what, they're going to be evil whether they're ghosts or goblins or zombies. But this one was really, really kind of disturbing. But and then I found this old Bella Lugosi documentary. It was 99 cents on Amazon Prime. So I go, okay, I can handle 99 cents. And it was just really interesting. I didn't know a lot about Bella Lugosi, sort of like that other one you told me about um, with uh, was it not Vincent Price? Was it Vincent Price? No, it was um, Boris Karloff. Boris Karloff. Oh, the Boris Karloff one on Shutter. That was so fast. I mean, I learned so much. And then then I, I want to watch the older movies because once you see what these guys went through. And all the sacrifice that, I mean, things weren't easy back then for people at all. You know, I mean, I know it's hard now, but I mean, these people really stuck with it. I mean, they had a mission. They really did. And um, I was going to watch Dr. Sleep later today because after watching all of this shining stuff, I need to watch Dr. Sleep. But we're not doing much today because it's cold. So (laughs) we're just going to hang and do the TV thing. He'll probably play Roblox. The world was over because Roblox blew up the other night ago, I guess. Somebody infiltrated it and it all shut down and my phone was going off because my grandson uses my my email. It's like Roblox has been shut down. But that was just a travesty for a nine-year-old. Do you remember what Bella Lugosi documentary you watched? Because I'm wondering if it's one of the ones I've seen. It's 99 cents. I know that I can find it while you guys are talking about how fantastic Keith's life is compared to my boring, pitiful, you know, existence. (laughs) Keith does does have something on. I'm actually on holiday this week. I'm on holiday next week um, (laughs) because I get 60 holiday days a year for my job. And because I haven't been able to take any of them, I had to take, they're forcing me to take a bunch of them because it all recoups in April. If you lose it, you you don't lose it. it. You know, I've been at my job for 30 years now. So so I've been there for a while. So he blackmails people. That's what he does. Um, But anyway, so I've been off there, but um, I did, I finished off all the editing, got all that out this week, but I've, I've watched the Andy Warhol diaries on Netflix, which is fantastic. I highly recommend that documentary series. Really? Um, it goes when did that come out? It's quite good because every time, every time you hear Andy Warhol, you kind of get the factory years. And this is after he was shot. And then he kept the diary after he was shot. So this is all very interesting. And it's, you know, um, it is produced by Ryan Murphy. So there's some politics in there. You're kind of going, mm-hmm, sort of thing. But um, 
you know, look at looking at that time through a, a now lens sometimes is not the best way to look at things sometimes, you know, things were different then. I'm not saying that they need to be excused, but I don't think you need to make everything. The reason why this happened is because, it, you know, because they weren't like us now. It was kind of a little bit of that was thrown in there, which, but that's Ryan Murphy. He does that with a lot of this stuff anyway. I watched a new series that's on, um, called the, the Shining Veil, which is a haunted house um, TV series starring Courtney oh. Cox, Greg Veneer, and Mar- um, what's her, Mira Servino. That was really good. Oh, and um, what's her name's in it as well? Um, Sherilyn Fenn. What was that well. called again? Um, I don't know about any of this. The Shining Veil. The Shining Veil. I, I got that. I was, it's on my list. I haven't found it yet. Was it on um, Netflix? It's on, I found mine's on Amazon in this country. Amazon. So. Okay. No wonder I couldn't find it. So, so I started watching that. That was good. I watched two episodes of that. Um, really enjoyed that. And I've also um, started watching old black and white classics and stuff like that. So have but, I. I really like them a lot. I've been stuck in the 1930s for like. It's a good place to be stuck. I love the, the, the I love <laughs> the movies. I, I just, it's such a. Refresh. It's refreshing. It really. Well, is. What what it, what it done it for me is I joined. Uh, I I downloaded the app Letterboxd and I and I uh, clicked all the movies that I watched. And then when uh, it, it has a graph that shows like all the movies you've watched, and it's like eighteen nineties. It's very tiny, but then again, not many of those movies Nothing survived. Going on. But like in the eighties and nineties, I you know almost every year I've watched over a hundred movies from every year, and then I looked at the nineteen thirties. I'm like, I really haven't watched a lot from the 1930s 1920s of course sometimes you can't get them because a lot of them are lost so i was like all right well i'm gonna start going down the list and you know because all i'd seen is like the major horror movies and the major gangster movies and like gone with the wind and the wizard of oz and like the really big ones so it's like okay who do i like i like carlos i started going down carloff i I like cagney i started going down cagney and i've been kind of stuck in the 1930s i can't find that criminal code movie anywhere it's on amazon is it on Amazon? It's on, my, it's on my Amazon Prime here. I think it's on YouTube. This could drive me nuts. I know I rented this movie. It's very well, I good. Watching, <laughs> I was watching Penny Serenade um, before I came on here. With Carrie Carnival of Blood. That I watched really that too. Little... Penny Serenade really actually like made me cry when I saw it. It was like 20, 20 or so years ago when I was really getting into Cary Grant. But uh, I love Cary Grant. But that, that, that movie was a real tearjerker from what I remember. That's one I got to revisit. Now as an adult. Yeah, it's really good. It. I mean, it, it made me teary-eyed and stuff like that. So it was really good. I was going to watch Curse of the Black Widow, but I couldn't get past the picture of the woman's face on the spider. Is that the Dan Curtis movie? <laughs> yeah. Is that the Dan Curtis uh, TV movie? I don't know. Dan Curtis, but I think there's Dan also- Curtis, yeah. It's a Dan Curtis. There you go. You like Dark Shadows. Go for it. Yeah. I know. It's just, just, it's the poster of the face on the spider. That's just what's killing me. It's like, do I want to watch this? I mean, Asher might like it. He thinks we're stupid, though. And I mean, it's because the, my old stuff. The Titans is coming out with Batgirl, which is going to trace the career of Barbara Gordon from Batgirl to the Oracle. <laughs> It's come out from the team that does Titan, uh, Titans and Doom Patrol. So that could be quite good, actually. I love Titans. I really enjoyed Titans a lot, so I'm a huge fan of that. I'm not a, I'm like um, Matthew, I'm not a superhero fan. I really don't like Marvel comics at all. <laughs> I can't get into it. Marvel? And, you know, 
I, I hang love in the, the universes. I'm not a Star Wars fan either. I'm not a Star Trek fan. I'm I kind of moved away from Star Wars through the years. Though so, so every, so, so every once in a while, you know, there are things that pop out like Mandalorian. I love that. So I love the Mandalorian. I still haven't finished Boba Fett yet. Yeah, so I haven't even started it yet. So, and then I've been watching um, Pam and Tommy on Disney. Stuff. I was, like, that looks that good. Out. That looks good. I haven't started it yet. Is I, it worth it? I read Tommy Land like years ago. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah, is what it you worth think? it? I, I mean, is it stupid as it looks? I, I would. I would never suggest that Disney, in all my years of being alive, would have a show that has a talking penis as one of its main characters. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, that that's um, I had heard about that, and I, uh, somebody at work came to me like, "I know you like Motley Crue. Have you seen Pam and Tommy yet?" I'm like, "I haven't seen. It. I'm going to wait until it runs its course, and I'll like watch like two episodes a day, and like go go through it in like a, a week or so." And she's like, "There's a talking penis." I'm like, "Oh my god, is it based on Tommy Lee's book?" She's like, "It's based on a book called Tommy Land." I'm like, "Yeah, Tommy Lee's fucking book where he has." There's a chapter where he talks to his penis and his penis talks back to him. And I guess they adapted that into the show. <laughs> they did. I can just see him talking to his dick, too. I, I have to sit there and say the actors playing um, Pamela Sue and the one who's playing, they've done a really good job. I mean, they she got. She looks just like her. From what I can well, they, they prost- she's got prosthetics on, like the prosthetic breast and the prosthetic. She put prosthetics on her face to make herself look more like that. She's we pretty, though. Tell. She's a real pretty girl. Yeah. But they've done it's a good job. I mean, it's enjoyable. You just sit there and go. I mean, it's here before. It's like, you know, I turned, you know, I was watching it. And, you know, I remember the, when that video the, came the out. Sign on, and then you get that and you're like, okay, this is kind of bizarre. That was such a big deal when that sex video came out. Everybody was, anybody was trying to get their hands on it. Yeah, but it also, but it also started making people famous. Isn't that how Kim Kardashian became famous? Yes. Who sex did? Paris Hilton. Sex Who? tape. Paris Hilton. Well, she don't care. Paris will do anything. Paris Hilton is the best no, one. Saying, that's how we got to know who she was, is through the sex tape. Kim Kardashian, the world didn't know who she was. until. Uh, that's uh, true. Well, everybody knew her dad because of OJ, so but... So basically, they took that Pam and Tommy thing, and basically, these reality pro- programmers ran with it, didn't they? would make themselves get a career out of it. Well, seems <laughs> legit. <laughs> I, think, um, I think Tommy Lee's played by. Um, I think he's played by Sebastian Stan, right? From uh, yeah. I don't know. I haven't winter, seen it yet. He's the Winter Soldier in the Marvel movies. Oh no, shit! I think he's Tommy Lee. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I, it's fun, you know. And then I've started watching. Um, this is quite good as well. <laughs> uh, the one there's a show based on um, the, the Tiger King. It's a, a dramatization of it. It's a miniseries. And the one who plays the Timing King, the the um the Tiger King, is Jane John Cameron Mitchell, who we know from Hedwig. He plays Hedwig and he also directed Short Bus. So he, I just can't get into the Tiger King. I just can't. I think I live two hours away from I just cannot get it. My daughter liked it. I just can't watch it. I cannot do that to my life. It's already what's more, what's more David interesting. Kinnan plays Carol, right? The second season of it and the a subsidiary, the subsidiary one about the the other guy who owns it. That's really good because he was he was t- t- doctored by a guru who was known for like having sex with his cult members, and he's kind of adapted that and he's still going with it sort of thing. He has like all these wives and stuff like that living with him, and that's quite interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm just glad when I saw the Tiger King that because I was in Oklahoma 
Um, and I was, you know, and I used to frequent quite the same places he did. I'm so glad I never ran into him because I was like, that's I was a couple of the guys who the people I knew. It's like, oh no. <laughs> One of them that frequents the bar, the bar restaurants and stuff in Dallas, my daughter goes into. I guess he's a real, some of them are real douches. <laughs> Chicago. I was going to the bar. I was going to the bars that Jeffrey Dahmer was going into picking up his victims. Jeez, like, Keith. Like that in Chicago. <laughs> Could have been an appetizer. Uh, I doubt it. I was I was what I would have been like 20, 21 at that time. I mean, Are you too young? I know I couldn't tell you anything about math, but I could tell you a lot about serial killers. Isn't that crazy? Je- Jeffrey liked the teenies. <laughs> he liked the teenies. Uh, Jeffrey liked the teeny boppers. The teeny boppers, and they had to be. They tend to be Asian as well. You like? Can you imagine boys. being the first cop on that crime scene? It's like what in the ever living fuck is going on in here? Oh, God. Well, let's face it. How does a serial killer ever get caught? It all starts with the smell. <laughs> <laughs> yep. John Wayne Gacy was there, people getting the about his house. Quiet, quiet, really nice, pleasant um, neighbor house. Hell stinks. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, I can't remember the name of the Tiger King, um, docu- um, not documentary, but the dogmatization show, but it's, it's fun. They take, they take the piss out of it and they really captured the, the unique characters that are found in the documentary and the actors who are playing them are quite funny. So. I think it's oh. called like Carol and Joe or something like that. That's it, Carol and Joe, that's it. So I, I actually recommend that. I, it makes me laugh. So I was laughing all the way through it. So... And I always kind of wondered about Carol anyway. I mean, she's like talking about, oh, they're keeping these people in safari parks, blah, blah, blah. But then she's taking their tiger and putting them into her own safari park. So you're kind of going, <laughs> she's got peach on her side. So there's people that raise, we got lots of like exotic animal farms. I mean, I, I live down the road for one. You could hear the lions roaring in the morning. And I had, my kids were little back then. And every once in a while you come home and the tree would have big scratches on it. This is in the country. That would made me so nervous. I wonder if they ever closed any of those. Those people had no right to have those animals. They just didn't. Remember in San Francisco on Christmas, those kids were throwing bottle beer bottles at the tigers, and the tigers jumped out of the cage and killed them, ate them? No, I never heard about this. What yeah, happened? Man. Yeah. They came out of the cages and ate the kids? Yeah, in San Francisco. It was about five years ago, I guess. Yeah. Oh, I think I think I might have heard something about that. It was pretty wild. I don't remember any of this. It's like they're cats. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. They're gonna eat you. But not only that, like if you, if they're not in like a like they put like a moat and a big wall and this and that, and they're like, it's a cat, dude. <laughs> get out. You know what I mean? You watch that documentary about the guy that was with the grizzly bears, and then all of a sudden oh, he yeah. just disappeared. Grizzly, <laughs> grizzly bears ate him. Jeez. Yeah, the, uh, bear uh, Bearner Herzog. Made that documentary. Yeah. The bear, yeah. I look into the bear's cold eyes. I do not see love or affection, only hunger and darkness. <laughs> well, they thing at SeaWorld. Remember the SeaWorld one as well? Oh, I, my, my friend was friends with that guy who got, who got eaten by the... Because he, he broke into the SeaWorld and he would eat out of the dumpster and Ugh. sleep during the day. And at night, he had all this acid and he would like swim with the dolphins and shit. He was like this ex Harry Krishna guy, and yeah, man, he he went and swam with the with the uh, killer whale. Well. The thing ate his ass, man. Did it really? I why did I miss this one? It's well, a crazy thing. It's like I I know I'm friends with a friend of that guy. I heard the whole story before that documentary even came out. 
Now I've got to look for this shit. You guys know that, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what happens. I mean, to be honest, I mean, you know, you can't tame wildness anyway. So, yeah, I don't like zoos. I think it's sad when they're. Like, I think it's sad. I don't like pages. going to zoos. Yeah. I don't think it's right. I don't like. I don't like. Trying to get a bear. I won't take him. To, I won't take it. Circuses don't have animals in this country. They don't. There's no animals in circuses. In they do country. here, so, and I don't like it. Because it's illegal here and in Europe. So basically, the circus you just see clowns, and that's a horror show in itself. But, um, <laughs> I hate clowns, man. I love clowns, but I hate them. Speaking love of them. horror, um, I, I stumbled across this documentary series, and if you want something to really get under your skin is called five come back if the propaganda is what it was oh yeah but it's a series right and it's about it's a wartime series because i can't remember about the it's a series that has about not there's nine episodes in it the first one is all the american news footage that they shot at the concentration camps when they were Uh, liberating them so you have i mean it's real life i mean it's Real life horror, real footage, and then the second one is um, it's a two parter about Russia and how Russia won the war and the reason why Russia is the way it is today, which is interesting from a 1940s point of view. Right, and then the other ones, and then there's the Midway, and then there's um, um, the Japanese war camps, what they were doing, and it's, it's good. Sounds it's an eye opener. It makes you it makes you open your eyes a little bit, see how things are, and it basically it's. It basically is the reality, not the history books for, version of it. And this is as it's unfolding and all the film footage that they took and stuff like that. So it's good. Cool. But it's not for the faint of heart. And it has a heavy art, has a heavy 18 rating on it. So heavy. Heavy. Yeah. But it's good. Well, they had a heavy rating. On, they should have had a heavy rating on the regular news last night. I had to flip the channel. My grandson was here. So. So that brings us to The Shining, which is a 1980 psychological horror film produced and directed by Stanley Kubrick and co-written with novelist Diane Johnson. The film is based on Stephen King's 1977 novel and stars Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Scatman Crothers, and Danny Lloyd. The film does center around the character Jack Torrance, an aspiring writer and recovering alcoholic who accepts a position as an off-season caretaker of the isolated historic Overlook Hotel in the Colorado Rockies with his wife, Wendy. Um, production took place almost exclusively at EMI Elf Street Studios, which sets based on real locations. Kubrick often worked with a small crew, which allowed him to do many takes, sometimes the exhaustion of the actors and staff. The new steady cam mount was used to shoot several scenes, giving the film an in- innovative and immense look and feel. There has been many speculations about the meanings and actions in the film because of inconsistencies, ambiguities, symbolism, and differences from the book. The film was released in the United States on May 23rd, 1980, and in the United Kingdom on October 2nd, 1980, by Warner Brothers. There were several versions for theatrical release, each of which was cut shorter than the one preceding it, about 27 minutes were cut in total. Reactions to the film at the time of its release were mixed. Stephen King criticized the film due to its deviations from the novel. Critical opinion has become more favorable with the film now widely considered one of the greatest and most influential horror films ever made and a staple of pop culture. In 2018, the film was selected for the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, and specifically significant. 39 years later, a sequel, Dr. Sleep, was released on November 8th, 2019. What we're going to do is cut to the trailer and be right back 
talking about the signing for 1980. I don't suppose they uh, told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970. I heard a man named Charles Grady is the winter caretaker. From what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point during the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and uh, killed his family for the next. Well, you can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. <laughs> that's right. Mom, they really want to go and live in that hotel for the winter. Sure I do. It'll be lots of fun. The only thing that can get a bit trying up here during the winter is uh, the tremendous sense of isolation. Is there something bad here? I fear you will have to deal with this matter in the harshest possible way. What you did, I killed you with Danny. You did this to me. Didn't you? I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Here's Johnny. <laughs> Hello, welcome back to Literalize the Podcast. We're discussing Stanley Kubrick's 1980 film, The Shining. And starting with you, Matthew, what are your thoughts? Uh, what are your thoughts on The Shining? <laughs> <clears throat> the Shining is probably one of the most influential works of art on my life that ever. When I was, a, I can still remember being a little kid and watching the Muppet Show in my parents' yeah. bedroom, and the, the, they were just flooding the television with commercials for The Shining. And I just, I was watching those elevator doors open up and that blood come yeah. out. I was just hooked. I was obsessed with it. I, my parents wouldn't let me see it in the theater because I was really young, but. Um, as soon as they came out on videotape, I, I, you know, I watched it over and over and over. And uh, to this day, like my family and I will act out scenes from it when we're driving. <laughs> oh I just God. adore it. And um, uh, I have all my own kind of theory. You know, Kubrick is a, is a genius. He, he's, um, I like Kubrick's version better than Stephen King's version, to be honest. I like the hedge maze. I think that's one of the greatest metaphors mm-hmm. ever. You know, and how they get lost there. I like that uh, Holleran dies. You know what I mean? Like, if you watch, like, Kubrick's, like, it's supposed to be a horror book. No one dies in it. You know, you got to kill somebody. Somebody's got to go. Yeah, I like the Indian burial ground stuff. I like, um, you know, all the differences in it. I think it's, I like the way that he is, I don't mean people argue about what it even means, but to me, he's, he becomes one with the hotel at the end. He's like sucked into it and, you know, and, and, and the hotel wins. And I love that. I hate Stephen King's dark fantasy endings can kind of sometimes grate on my nerves a little bit, especially when he constantly does them over and over and over again. The, you know, the, the good wins and bad wins over triumph. I like the hotel sucking Jack in. And, uh, it's fabulous. Love it. Yeah. There's, um, there's a you start to see a lot of a lot of tropes in Stephen King's stuff like he he I mean I guess when the guy just is constantly writing he's going to repeat himself a lot he's going that's he's true gonna, I never thought of that the thing that stuck out to me about this version and I I had never seen the uh, the the version by Mick Garris until this week and they're two very different films um 
and um, in retrospect, watching Doctor Sleep again after watching the '97 one, I, I feel like Doctor Sleep is now an even better movie, and I liked it initially. I anyway. love Doctor Sleep. But the main thing that gets me about the Kubrick movie is right at the beginning, like when you're when you're zooming in, it's it's ice, like they're the only car on the road. You mm-hmm. start getting that sense of isolation, um, and you uh, everything is so cavernous, you know, um, that, that that you start feeling you start feeling really small, and you start feeling um, it does make of, you feel small, doesn't it? In the beginning, especially, yeah, and you start and you really start to get a sense for. When you have these gigantic spaces and very few people, it kind of makes the isolation uh, work more. Uh, whereas in the other one, I, I didn't feel that as much. I didn't feel right. like they were as isolated, even though they kept talking about it. But the feel of the way Kubrick set it up yeah, actually that. made me feel like, oh, shit, I'm completely alone in this place. It's It's just the three of us. And whatever the hell is out there and make no, and you know, make no mistake in this movie, there is something out there because uh, you, you, you know, but they don't really identify it. Do they though? Well, no, the Grady lets him out of the, out of the thing. Grady lets him out. If, if Grady hadn't opened that door and let him out of that pantry, then you could be like, well, he's always talking into the mirror. Cause if you notice every time there's ghosts around, there's a mirror there. True. Yeah. So, so it's like a reflection of himself, but the fact that Grady that lets him out of that—that's the only truly supernatural element in the film. If you but think do you think it. he was? Do you think he was like mental, y'all? Well, do you think that he was? Well, he was mental clearly, did. but he wasn't imagining all this. Well, well if he, Grady lets it. him out. There's a physical act. That's he right. He that actually got out of the, the, out of the that door. Let's that, not that forget the, there's the a supernatural war. force there. The woman in the bathtub actually does try to strangle Danny. So that's a, that's, that's a physical oh, supernatural right. act too. Yeah, so, right. so that, yeah, there, this isn't one person. I mean, it is one person slowly declining into uh, madness. into madness, but at the same time, there is actually something there. And it's very clear there's something yeah. there because Danny sees it too. And Danny is actually physically attacked by it. You see the marks on his neck. So, I saw some naked ghost right. bitch getting out of a tub and I was that young. I would not be sitting there waiting for her to come <laughs> see me. It's like, run. <laughs> I like what Joe said about the isolation. It makes me think of the, about the spirit of the Wendigo. And like when right. it first opens up, they're ta- when they're talking about the cannibalism that took place in Donner Lake. No, oh, that's that right, Donner scene, Party. Yeah. It really brings about that spirit of loneliness and hunger, you know? And then the, the Native American stuff too. See Wendy, he saw it on the TV. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's on the television. I can. I think. I guess. I can understand one criticism that Stephen King has of this book is that with I think it's with Jack Nicholson is that Jack Nicholson starts out mad and he just stays mad. He start. I mean, and I kind of a nice guy in the beginning. Kind of. Well, it's kind of. I mean, when I first saw The Shining, basically, I went to the movie theaters and saw and. and at that point, I was really into Stephen King's books. I read, you know, I read Carrie, and I read Salem's Lot, The Shining, The Stand, and I was working my, you know, I was working my way through. And he didn't have that many out at that time. So I think that's back when he was producing a book once every two years. Back when right. it was quite. That's when he was like cranking them out back then. And the, and so when I saw The Shining the first time, I was highly disappointed because I was like, oh, 
you know what I mean? Because, and then, then I had, then I had, then I took some time away from it and then revisited when it came out on video and so on and so forth. And of course I have, I, by that time I was a huge fan of the Clockwork Orange. I was looked, watching a lot of Stanley Kubrick films and stuff like this. And, and then when I watched The Shining, I had a more appreciation for it. Watching it this time, I actually watched the director's cut, which has all the yeah. 29 back put back into it. And it's the ultra HD version that's out now. Um, I was able to purchase it for four ninety nine, which is great. Um, and Not a bad um, deal at all. No, it, what, well, you can buy it on Amazon download for four. Joe's like, huh? What's the, yeah, what's what's the <laughs> runtime on that? It's um, two hours and thirty forty minutes. Thirty two thirty one. Two thirty one. I think. What's the runtime uh, on the one I watched? Um, and I have to sit there and say that. First of all, the picture is fantastic because they, I mean, it's, I mean, it's like watching a 3D film. First of all, it's like, feel like you're immersed into it. Um, and yeah, I think, and I love the way it opens. And, and the thing is, I took a year off to live in Winter Park, Colorado at that time. So that road that they're going on, that's the, the trail, road. trail Ridge Road, that's the road of death. I literally shit my pants all the way up there. But when we went, my kids were little and they were in the back and I was crying. I was so scared. I do not like roads like that. They don't have guardrails and it's just thousand feet drop off to going above tree line. No guardrails. When I moved there after college, I actually drove my U-Haul full of furniture. Oh, hell no. (laughs) No. My brother and I did that. We had we had a twenty three foot box truck when uh, when I moved from uh, from New York to L A. and we drove through uh, <laughs> through the That's Rockies. The park. Uh. And when, and I, we were doing it at night, and we didn't realize until at one point I I look because I, I, I I'm like sleeping in the uh, in the passenger seat. I would have been. And dying. I wake up and I look to my right, and I'm like, wait a minute, and like there's no guardrails. No, there's not. <laughs> it's like, holy shit. It's like 10,000 feet and like down four feet to my right is the edge of the mountain. And it's like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. My brother's like, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for uh, the closest, ho- the first sign we see for a hotel. We're pulling over and we're continuing this in the morning. I'm like, yeah, because you don't see shit. No, <laughs> so no. It's terrifying. It's terrifyingly beautiful. Roads, though, we get, you get avalanches, and basically, if you're yep. there with the avalanche, it just knocks the car right over the side of the road. Oh, yeah. You're we fine. got lit because they actually got caught up, and because of the way the snow was, it was all like wet snow. So it kind of yeah. created the car into like a blanket sort of thing. They dug the mountain, it was fine. But you know, it's, it's quite, you know, it's quite it's scary. Too, I remember like, it's too straight down, especially when you're above tree line, there is just nothing to hold. I you remember up. times when we were in um, winter park where we wanted to go. I mean, I used to drive that quite, <laughs> I used to be drunk driving through <laughs> up and down that going to Denver to go out, go out partying it in the, on the weekends and stuff. <laughs> college. And I wasn't at college. I fin- I just, I just finished college. So I took a year off before, um, before I started my job here. Well, you were and still so, young and stupid then. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm still drinking. That's part of it. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I remember. I just remember, like you know, and there'd be times that we would go to Denver, and then we couldn't get home because the whole we snowed off. Oh yeah, we had to wait like 24 hours for it to clear yeah. off. And we couldn't go out or, or whatever like that. But even in the spring and summertime, you had to worry because there were mudslides that would basically just slide down the mudslides. It's so but pretty I, up there, though. I would sit there, you know, in the summertime. I had that, you know, I had top down in my convertible, and I was just riding those roads but there have been other times like on new year's eve going through the eisenhower tunnel where you see them go through the tunnel do the thing and 
New Year's Eve, me and um, three of my friends were in there and um, basically went through the Eisenhower Tunnel and there's ice on the other side of it and the wind caught the car and we were tail spinning it around. That's not a good place to tail spin. Hitting the bumper, hitting the uh, rubber bumper and your car bands it. I mean, we were fine, but it did give us, oh, we better go home now. (laughs) (laughs) Did you guys... you know, Did but, you guys yeah. think that Kubrick had a continuity problem before I forget? Because the like the, the typewriters change. Yeah. You know, and then changes all the time. And then and then the he then Wendy's talking to him, and then there's a chair, and then the scene yes. reverts back. The chair's gone, then the chair and right. a little table's back. And you gotta wonder, is he doing this on purpose? Absolutely. I think so. There's a bare rug, bare skin rug that appears and disappears. The lights will be different too. The, the 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 little what do you call it the one of the the seven dwarves there sleepy dopey dopey oh yeah they change on the door when he yeah in the beginning yeah there's tons of that I think that I just wonder why I mean is he just what's he trying to prove creeping you out after you know? he's trying to bring you into that world um, I think that's what he was doing is he was trying he was trying to make you wonder if you're going mad with uh with the torrances that's I think a that, good con- yeah that's you know, a lot really, of it's subconscious you don't notice it but something in the back of your brain is like this isn't right like the office with the window in it the impossible window you go into this labyrinth it's in the middle and of you the get building. into the middle of it the is- hotel and there's a window where you can see outside and it's but it isn't no the sense. but the office is inside the middle of the building right so that window right. could not be it's an impossible window or how about all their luggage when they pull up in a little vw bug Right. Have you see all the pile of luggage they have? Where the hell would they put all that? Is that luggage? all their luggage? I was wondering because yes. there's people standing around it and then they kind of file out. Well, he, he says there's my luggage there. I mean, another thing I think of, okay, they're they're in a Volkswagen bug. Right. And and we basically know what the storage is like that. Where in the hell did Danny's three wheeler come from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was so important to the story, his little three wheeler, you know. Well, even when he, even when he's traveling around, he's not traveling around in a complete square that you think he is. He's doubling back on himself because if you look at if you look at the side, if you look at the sides, basically when he's wheeling around, next thing you know, he's upstairs. How yeah. did he get upstairs? He didn't go is he is he like going like in a car garage kind of thing? Is he using an elevator because he's always on a, either a different hallway or a different floor? You know, he's on a flat surface. It's just that it's like a dream. I mean, it's. And it's so is, hard to. to I guess it's, it's your own mind opinion. A lot from other little hot horror horror house films at this time. Legend of Hill House is about how the walls are always changing. Right, <laughs> you know, right. And that was very popular at the time. The Indian Burial Ground and the Horror, which right. is very popular at this time. You know, the movie just came out a year earlier. There's a lot of um, the haunting. Is it in the mind or not in the mind? You know, classic nineteen sixty five. I just try to remember when Stephen King's that character that turns into the plant. Is it Creep Show? I think it's a Creep, it's creep Show. Show. Yeah, is he Jordy watching Barrel. The Shining on the little TV? He was watching wrestling. Was he? Yeah, yeah. I, I think okay. he was watching wrestling. I'm trying to. Remember. There was something. I don't know. I have to look that Jordy up. It's gonna break the crap out of me. Uh, yeah, the lonesome you know, death. Another thing you have to think Barrel. of is, like, I can tell you for a fact, this is 1980s America, and you're in the middle yes. of nowhere. How in the hell are they getting TV reception? There's no well, TV is not even plugged in. Did you notice is, that? No, There's I no didn't notice that. The, the TV's just sitting there on. Well, don't you guys remember putting tinfoil on your antenna? Yeah. 
<laughs> but the TV's in the middle of the room as well. It's not against yeah. the wall or anything. It's in the middle of the room when they're watching it. It's not it's plugged so in. Genius. I'm going to have to it's go through that and look again. So it's going to bug me. And like, I don't know, uh, Vicky was mentioning the car before, how like in the in the book, it's a red car, red VW. And then he made it a yellow VW. And then you see the wrecked VW. The wreck, and it's the red uh, VW. So it's F.U. to Stephen King, because Stephen King didn't like what he did with his book in the screenplay. And Stephen Basically. King actually wrote, drove a red VW. So it's even a double. But um, I also think that maybe he changed it to a yellow VW, because when that film was being being uh, produced, Ted Bundy had just gotten caught in a yellow and, VW. Yes, and so no the shit. yellow I VW was that in the American people's brain like crazy at that time. That is wild. The you know, very what? I first bet right. shot you see is the yellow VW in Colorado, where, where Ted Bundy killed a number of women. That's right. I would have never put that together, and I love that together myself about serial killers. But that would have never have come to my brain right then and there. That's a good. That's, that's a good. My bit of shinologist. That's like a good a, catch. My shinology. Yeah. I mean, Kubik also at this time was really into subliminal messages as well. He was talking about advertising campaigns and all that sort of stuff. And at that time, it was legal to give subliminal messages. If you look at magazine ads um, for anything, doesn't matter what you're looking from uh, during this time period, you can find like words etched in the pictures like sex and right. you know subliminal messages. If you look at uh, I remember the old camel cigarette packs. There would be two mm. naked people within the cigarette pack of camels and stuff like this. Yeah. There's a it's guy with his penis out. You can see so much stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And also, so mental messages was the thing there. He did, he did a little bit of it during Clockwork Orange. There's a little bit of subliminal messaging in there. And there is oh, you know, and any of his other films. But this is where he takes it to the hilt sort of thing. It's like there. Because subliminal messages is what your brain picks up. Right. Now, Labyrinth, the Minotaur. It's a film to meant to be watched with nothing else going on around you as well. I would think that'd be so cool to be isolated. You know, if you got you, some of you guys are writers, you like to write, you just, you know, got to ch- check this boiler every once in a while in this beautiful luxury hotel, all the food you want. But there's always a catch, isn't there? Well, let's take, <laughs> let's take the lockdown, for instance, when people are in lockdown for three to four months. Yeah. And basically, you know, what we what 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 do we find what your statistics are showing at the moment now they're starting to come out. Divorce rates went, are starting to go up now because of it. Um spousal abuse started going up <laughs> sort of thing. And what's lots the, of what, alcoholism, lots of alcoholism and well, what was the biggest complaint during the lockdown, which is only 3 to 4 months. The thing is like you could go outside your house if you want to. The biggest complaint, I don't know what to do with my kids. You know, that was pretty much all across the board sort of thing. So That's now true. Pick- the kids were so bored. They were, but they had homeschool going on too. So they had some yeah, stuff like, going I mean, on. People were trying to work from home and all the other stuff going on. And, you know, it's just a pressure. But and anytime that people are stuck, I mean, it's a bit like, you know, you can, there's also this difference as well. Like, you know, like for a simple fact that when you're at home, when you're growing up and you're a kid and you're quite happy, you know, doing whatever you do, and, but you would, you were quite happy to stay inside and watch TV all day, yeah. even though the day is sunny and blah, blah, like that. As soon as you're grounded and you know you can't go out, that's when you want to go out. Right. You know, you, you have that going on as well. And you get, you know, and I think The Shining does show that. It's just like, you know, little things start bothering you when you're stuck with people for over a period of time if you can't, if you can't get out of their company, you know. Yeah. 
you know, whether it's not, they're, they're, you know, they can be you know, the way that they're holding their fork when they're eating dinner, or maybe the way that it just taps against the plate when they're shoveling it in, or just little things start to grate on you over a period of time. Did they even eat? I never even watched them have one meal. Yeah, she brought, brought him eggs. Don't you remember? He's dipping the bacon in the eggs. Oh, that's right. There was something to that scene, too, when he's dipping the eggs. The the mirror. Bacon. It's, it's a mirror within a mirror within a mirror. Yeah, it's See, weird because his shirt's back, backwards. A mirror, then you realize you're looking at another mirror. Yeah, his shirt was backwards, and then all of a sudden, yeah. his shirt, you can read it. I can't remember what it said. It began with an S. Do you remember what it said? It was something to do with the Indians, I think, didn't it? Was it a college? I, college, I, I can't remember. Strat? No. Some, I can't remember what it was now. But It wasn't Stanford? I, one minute, you're looking at it, and the next minute, it's a, I, that was, I, I could pick that up. And, I mean, I, I, me, well, Keith asked me, well, he didn't ask me to watch it. He suggested it. It's called Room 237. And mm-hmm. I watched it. I've still got another half hour, but I watched The Shining with totally new eyes. I mean, let's take the, okay, let's just get the, the albatross out of the room. A lot of people think this is Kubrick's nod to Apollo 11 and that he faked all the film footage for NASA. What does everybody think? <laughs> no, that's bullshit. <laughs> but okay so you got the you got all the like you've got all the little signals there apollo this apollo that you've got you know i mean you got to wonder room you got the room you know 237 it's 237,000 miles to the moon you know i mean what do you, i mean I there's that, you change that number from the book but then the hotel said to change it they made them change it so that because there's not a real room i know danny has the sweat has the uh, sweater that was one of the biggest ones. 42. Oh, yeah, the Apollo 11 sweater. Yeah, but um, there was. I read an interview with one of the uh, production assistants who said that she found that in a thrift store, and it just seemed very, for number one, very American, because they wanted it to be America. Like, well, it was the, during the, space flight. Back and also just something a little boy would like. Yeah, it yeah. would be. It would be. I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything like that. But sometimes I do wonder when you see man, if you see when you see Neil Armstrong like land on the moon, you kind of really like, how, do they put the camera outside the spaceship first to film that? <laughs> well, they probably landed the on camera. the moon. I was told that they said so the footage was destroyed, and so they had to sufficiently give the American and the world public what they wanted. So I mean, it's kind of. You kind of wonder, because let's face it, our government is really sketchy, okay? <laughs> well, I mean... They just are. They, 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 do, they do say in the thingy that man did land on the moon, and basically they just need to get film footage for people to watch it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying I believe or disbelieve that, but I can understand the argument for it, because whenever I see it sort of thing, I mean, basic, you know, it's a bit like watching a Real Housewives program to a certain extent. And, you know, and everyone thinks that's real, but that is a one camera show. So basically, if two people are having an argument and then you're watching the other person's reaction to it, that means they cut, cut, show me your reaction now. Because it's a one camera show. Otherwise, the camera be flinging back and forth. With the Apollo landing, I can understand why people would think that because the idea would basically be before Neil Armstrong came off the spaceship, something had to be released from the spaceship to stand back there and be able to film it from the angle that it's filmed. Because you can't film that from within inside the spaceship from that you angle. Can't. <laughs> so it's like so, um, so they must have. Oh yeah, you're right. So somebody had to, who somebody had to do the first step on the moon. You're right. I never thought of that either. So there might be something to it. I mean, there was a lot of reference. You have to admit, there's a lot of reference to Apollo. There, or either that or it was just subliminal. You know, but I mean, I thought it was kind of weird just by i mean if you listen to that documentary it's like makes you think it's like hmm 
you know, were we duped? <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be the first time. People would do crazy things in that documentary. Don't they like show it forward and backward at the same exact time? Over I top actually like that. That, that was actually kind of, that was fascinating the way that the film actually lines up. When that, yeah. and that. I was quite, it's like, I would actually, I would actually want to see that. I, I would actually pay to go out to some movie theaters and see that done that way. Just to eat some acid. Yeah, but it, it's kind of weird because they were so they they, they do show it and it does li- the way it lines it up. It's, it's I would go. I love The Shining so much. I would definitely. I would see it backwards, forwards, on top of itself, upside down. You show me The Shining, I will sit there and watch it. You know, <laughs> or Shelley Duvall. We got to definitely give her like a, a real head, a real nod because he made her crazy. Her hair started falling out during that movie. Did you see the so footage of her doing the coke? Did you, did you ever see that shot? She's doing mm-hmm. a line of coke. Oh, I never saw that. It's not going to help you, Shelly. <laughs> <laughs> it's because uh, uh, his daughter made a little documentary. That's pretty. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's on the Blu-ray. Right. I, I, didn't, I haven't thing, seen I mean, it. I mean, I think another thing is that Stanley Kubrick is quite a strong personality. But I also think that we need to know where Shelley Duvall came from. Shelley Duvall comes from Robert Altman. Yes. That's her. That's where she comes from. The Robert Altman thing that basically. Just let loose, and we're gonna have you know. Basically, we have a very little script, and you just mm-hmm. shoot. Let's ad lib. Improv. And now he's dealing with. Now she's dealing with a director who's very, very. You do everything's precise. Kubik is precise. No ad libbing with Kubik. You you know, and the thing is, you know, he's a bit like Alfred Hitchcock in this way. Is basically like you can you say your lines, but if whatever, whatever happens, you're gonna be here at this point, and the next point, you gotta be here. You need to be here. You need to be here. You need to be here. And you, and I don't you know I don't care how you say your lines just as long as you're at these places. <laughs> if you're not at yeah. those places, you have a problem. But they ask Alfred Hitchcock, "What's my motivation?" He says, "Your paycheck." <laughs> that that that's pretty motivating, I guess. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Yeah, I'll, I'll, Three Women's one of my favorite movies, man. It, it is so spooky and weird. Mm-hmm. Was it. Jack was Jack like a full blown alcoholic? I mean, he said he pulled recovering alcoholic. Okay, so did he mean to hurt Danny, Doc, whatever you want to call him? I don't think he meant to. Because I think he really loved his son. I just think he was one of those. I don't know. Are all you writers angry men? I don't know. I think think with this shining, I think as far as the emotional relationship between these three people are concerned, it's kind of non-existent. There's not a love between Shelley Duvall and Jack. It doesn't seem to be no grand there's passion there. No love between Danny and the mom and the and Danny and her, her father either. I mean, they tend to like they coexist with each other, but there's no there's no really sweet moments between any of them. Mm-hmm. Shelley Duvall is annoying. I Every mean, time I mean, she I, talks, I, I think of olive oil. I'm sorry, yeah. but her character Robert Altman. I see olive oil. I don't know why. I just think Popeye. That's a Robert Altman movie too. Yeah. But I mean, but the, the Shelley character in this is basically whenever she's talking to Jack, it's always there's always this kind of a moan to it. Did you get the job, Jack? You know, and it's like this all the way through it, which is annoying in its own sense if you have to live with that. So obviously, there's and then then Jack you think he talks, cast so her because she's annoying. It's, it's always with a sharpness to it. Do you think he cast her because she's annoying? No, I think that's the way it's written. I think that's the way he, I think that's what he wanted, because that act that acts that actually brings the family to not. I mean, with that kind of character involvement going on, you got you got the acoustic husband all the way through. Even when he's saying good morning or the Donna, he's party, caustic. A bit of 
aggression there with Jack Nicholson's character from beginning to end. You got Danny, he's kind of like unemotional, actually, even, in, you know, and he's just kind of like in his own headspace anyway. So I, I've of, never felt so bad for Shelley Duvall, her character, when he's, she comes to, you know, check on him and he's, he's typing and he's, don't yeah, he fucking was, bother me. Jack Nicholson <laughs> wrote that scene. But, but her character uh, really happened to him. Was annoying all the way through it. I mean, if you look at things like, did you get the job, Jack? That whole thing is, or like, are you working? It's like, he's working or whatever he's doing. Are you, you know, she's like over his shoulder and, you know, that's kind of a, you know, and it's always, there's always this need. There's a neediness to her all the way through. It's not yeah, like she right. gets on with it. She doesn't, she's not getting on with her day. She's just there all the time. So, and that's, and then it works fine in the shining because you see these three characters, these three people who are part of the family. And this is probably one of the most dysfunctional family that you're ever going to see in a film. All three of them are dysfunctional within their own setting. Yeah. Boy, she smoked a lot around that kid. Gotta love the 80s. You're sitting there eating your cereal and your parents are drinking beer and blowing smoke in your face and we live to tell about our childhood. (laughs) But the other other thing is also, she still covers for him. She still covers for Jack. I definitely get more of the sense of the battered wife in the 1980 version. Yeah, I do too. That scene where they ask about Danny's arm and She's, She's making excuses, oh, I mean, kind it, of. It's what it is. Yeah, it <laughs> was know? an accident. As oh, she's yeah. blowing smoke everywhere. Like you might do. What she say? She's like, like anybody might do. Yeah, she's like good. anybody might do. You know what? If my husband ever talked to me the way he talked to her when he was typing, I would have been the first one with that axe. I can tell you that. That dog wouldn't have hunted at all. Jack Nicholson said he actually did that. He, he did. They were making that scene, and he's like, you know, once I was typing, and because he used to, he was a scriptwriter, and I my girlfriend that. came in the room, and I fucking just yelled at her, and he's like, we broke up after that, and wow. Kubrick's like, all right, let's let's do it, just like that, like it happens. Well, to you. In Jack's defense, Roger Corman probably told him that screenplay was due on Wednesday. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, listen, listen, we only got Boris Karloff. Don't hear me typing. What the fuck you here? We got we got Boris Karloff for three hours on Wednesday, and we need a script. Let's fucking go, Jack. <laughs> yeah, right. you're probably right. Well, I know that if I'm hitting deadlines or I'm writing or something like this, and I got yeah. someone asking me questions all the way through, I get I get RC with them. I was like, what the fuck do you want? I say that to them. I remember I had one flatmate, and I was um I was working on something that had to be out. And she just got talking to me all the whole time. It's just like, I turn around and go, what in the fuck do you want? Can't you damn fucking work? Get the fuck away from me. And, I, and she started crying, which is, I mean, it was rude. And I had to go up and apologize to her. But the thing is, it's like, it becomes annoying after a while. When, I mean, if you're working and someone's there in your ear the whole time, and it's like, why? You, I mean, I, it's different. It's different. They're asking you something important, but they're asking you like what you have for breakfast and all the other stuff that goes along with it. You're like, can't you see I'm busy? Can't you just go somewhere else? I th- and I think part of it is I, I like back in 2011 I was hired to I was hired to write a uh, to write a screenplay um, and I was living with uh, with my brother and a, a couple friends had moved in and they didn't seem to understand that just because I'm not leaving the house to work doesn't mean doesn't mean working. I'm not working because they would keep coming in and trying to talk to me like guys I gotta fucking finish this draft in three weeks. Oh well, you know, you're home all day. We could like go you wanna go do something? No, dude, I'm doing something now. Like I cannot like just go hang out. And I, I think people don't don't get that when you're when you're writing. It's like 
they, they they'll, they'll come in. What, what are you doing? Hey, do you want to do you want to go to the movies tonight? No, dude, I really do not have time to go to the movies. I understand that I'm working from home and I'm home all the time, but you understand that this is due in three weeks, and I have to get it done now. <laughs> like, like I forget I, about the uh, typewriter thing, real quick. They said that international versions of the movie, they had little tweaks in them in terms of language and culture. And they had that. Remember, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't they say it didn't resonate in other languages or other parts of the world. And so they had different versions with different lines in Germany. It was never put off tomorrow. What you can do today or Spanish, no matter how early you get up, you can't make the sunrise any sooner. And I didn't know that. So but we saw all work and, you know. No play makes Jack dull. They did that in different languages because our whatever did not translate well into their culture. Isn't that weird? I didn't know that either. That poor fucking intern that had to type that. Yeah. (laughs) There's no copy. Oh my God. Somebody actually had to type that, didn't they? I just thought of that. There's no copy and paste. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Some poor hack. All the different formats. Oh. So oh, wow. I can't think of that, that, Joe. And now that you're telling me that they use different that they use different phrases in different They uh, did. Oh my yeah. god, no shit. The poor <laughs> fucking interns. <laughs> oh my god, that must have sucked. You did have a memory um typewriter race where you could type a line and then it would and then you could have I think it was con- you shift or something and it would repeat it. Did so, he so. have an electric typewriter? Sure I know he had a Oh, you could do that? I okay. <sighs> They had well, a manual typewriter, but did he have an electric typewriter? Because I can't remember. No, there's. I think no. His was no. It was it was manual because they had the keys in it. it wasn't yeah, but they switched the typewriter, and then it had there like it looked like the Third Reich eagle on it, kind of thing. But I remember. But I remember there was electric typewriter. I'm not saying that that this was used in the movie, but there was electrics that man. Remember that you could actually type into it. And then it could it would remember the line, just repeat the one line. That was that old IBM with the little ball thing on it yeah. back in the day. Yeah, we used to have oh. to take typing class. Remember the IBM had the little ball that. thing on it. Totally. We totally. used to like beat the shit out of each other because we all wanted that one typewriter in typing class. We wanted yeah. the electric. <laughs> I remember typing class anyway. It's like, oh, it's Christmas time. Let's type. Let's do a Christmas trip. Let's do a, um, a Christmas card. And you use the X's. <laughs> remember. <laughs> Oh my god, yes. Oh my god, we were so late. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I mean, another thing, the door that Jack chops through the axe near the end of the film, yeah, that, that was real. They were going to use a fake door, but because Jack Nicholson used to be a fire marshal. Yeah, yeah. So he actually, did you see that clip I sent you where he's yeah. j- jumping around trying to get excited and then you got <laughs> Shelly Duvall shutting the door and he's just, I mean, I think I would have been scared shitless too if I saw Jack Nicholson coming through the door the way he was hammering on that because he was really in character. I yeah. also know from what, what you read, what we know about Quebec. Quebec tend to have be bad, get better along with male. He didn't like Shelley, or was he just found what what was well, going on? I think he had problems. With, I mean, there's there are, there's problems with Shelley Winters and Lolita. There was problems. Um, Nicole Kidman. Had, Oh, uh, wasn't that eyes wide shut? Him, was that what that was? Yes, he, did, yes. he didn't have a relationship with her. Where Tom had a good relationship. That was a weird friggin' movie. Um, do, do, do you remember this, the behind the scenes where he goes over to? There's a behind the scenes thing where he goes over to Jack Nicholson and is whispering to him, mm-hmm. and and you're like, oh, I wonder what he's saying to him. You know, like, are, uh, like getting all deep about the character and this and that. But Jack Nicholson's m- m- mic'd up, and they've got the conversation. 
Do and they? He him and you know what he says? Did you check out the tits on the lady who delivered the tea? Oh my God. <laughs> so there's toxic masculinity running rampant through there. Yeah. Uh, well, it was the latter 70s, early 80s. Yeah. I mean, boys will be boys. I don't beat up men for being men. They can't help it. It's an affliction. It really is. You know? Oh, I, like, I like how the soundtrack was done by Walter Carlos, who is now Wendy Carlos. So now, with any new future, now when you see the print, they had to go through all the prints and actually change it from Walter to Wendy. Like, Oh, I had no idea. Right. Yeah, you see Walter Carlos. He did like switch on Bach. He had, like really pop their albums and the. Like, I stuff. saw that they 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 were going to have somebody else. What I think they were looking at um, Harrison Ford for that part and somebody else. Al Pacino. Oh, and Robin yeah. Williams was really close. Robin Williams was almost it. That would have been really interesting. And then Kubrick watched Mork and Mindy and said that Robin Williams was too over the top and and didn't do it. It's quite sad because what we know from Rob Williams, yeah, he was very over the top. Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro, Harrison Ford, and Robin Williams, yeah. Yeah. Robin Williams could have been quite interesting because if you look at Robin Williams, okay, I know that... I think he could have pulled it off. He needs a very strong director to pull him in. But if you look at things like One Hour Photo photo and Insomnia, he would have been... That's exactly the ones I was thinking of. I'm like, he, he he could play a creep really, really well. Even in Garp, I mean, he's, you know, that was his first movie and the director had to hone him in. It's like, no, you're not getting away with that. No, you're, you know, come on. We're not, we're not looking for your stand up here. You're a character. So I think he probably, he probably could, you know. I think he could pull it off. You think of Mrs. Doubtfire and Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, yeah. I love Good Morning Vietnam. He does dramatic very well. There always tends to be, okay, here comes the comedy stick. Here comes the John Wayne boys. Here comes... You know, all the other stuff that comes with it. So, yeah. Could have been interesting, actually. I mean, I think, I mean, I think Jack Nicholson's brilliant in it, but I do understand he, he does come across as quite crazy math from the very get-go. He just gets crazier. You know, there's no... There, he's not he's not the most sane person from the beginning and grows to craziness. He starts out crazy and just gets crazier. So I can understand why... What that what Stephen King said about that side of things. I mean, I I'm surprised... Stanley Kubrick did an interview, I think, with Playboy. And in it, he said Stephen King was a hack and that he had to do a lot of work on the screenplay to make it scary at all. And you got to remember, this, is, this isn't Stephen King that we know. This is Stephen King back in 1979, 78. Yeah. So, like, he, he wasn't that big of a deal. It was only his third book. Yeah, so, like, Stephen King took came it out, yeah. real personal. He did not like that. And then they, Stephen King was not allowed to go to the set. He, he wasn't allowed to go to the set. He wasn't talked to. And he just took it all real personal. I think he wasn't was a, he upset because he was working through I think I read this correctly, that he was working through his own alcoholism. And that's why he was writing uh-huh. this book that way. Right. Yeah. So maybe that's why but, he was um, taking it personally. It was a private demon that he was trying to quell. Even in the book, he's not that happy of a guy. He's gone through so much fucked up shit. You know what I mean? He got fired from the school, fired from his teaching job got assault charges pressed on him. He was, you know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes Stephen King is just being a dick, you know? <laughs> he can't well, be. I also, think, I also think with Stephen King, I don't think he would have that much access anyway. This is only his second book that, I mean, this exactly. is only his second book that was, went to to go. And to be honest, 
when I was actually looking through the newspaper clippings, the only thing that Stephen King ever said is that he thought, and I kind of, I can understand where he's coming from. I'm not saying that I totally agree with it, but that his only problem with it is that Jack Nicholson starts off as crazy and just stays that way. He didn't, he didn't see a, he said he would have liked to, if Jack Nicholson started out as quite normal and loving and then went this, into that direction. And that's the only thing he had to say about The Shining. That's the only no, thing. No, he didn't he, like the ending either. He said that, that Kubrick is cold and Kubrick is ice and that he's fire and he's heat and that he thinks that the, the, the Overlook should have blown up, you know? And, but, I mean, another thing is that when Stephen, when Stephen King made these kind of suggestions anyway, first of all, he had Carrie and Carrie, Carrie, they change stuff in the book. I mean, the gym teacher does not die in the book and all this other stuff sort of thing. So, you know, those changes had happened. Then The Shining came along. And then after The Shining was what? Salem's Lot. Yeah. So he's been very, very fortunate. Now, this is before Firestarter and Graveyard Shift and all the other shit that they made out of his movies. (laughs) So, you know, before he realized that, like, "Ah, they'll take my books and they'll turn it to shit, you know, sort of thing. And... You know, that's no problem with he had no problem with the new pet cemetery, and they completely changed that. I, I yes. the new pet cemetery. I liked it a lot. But I mean, he, and he had no problem with the new um with Doctor Sleep. It's like if you got a problem with people fucking with your books, you know, you you pick weird battles. You know, I think he just didn't like Hubert. They just didn't. Uh, do- they Dr. just didn't like each other. I also, yeah, I also think that it might have been marketing because Stephen King was also having a book released as well. So got his name in the inches as well. Maybe he's just saying something to be a bit, and the critics were tearing this movie apart when it first came out. So yeah. I think yep. he, he's jumping on board there. It's like, I got a new, cause I mean, to be honest, if an actor or a writer or a director saying anything about anything, it's normally because they got something promoting behind it sort of thing. With, Trust me, if, if they got nothing coming out, you don't hear from these people. <laughs> with with, uh, with Doctor Sleep, I feel like there was some kind of compromise made with Mike Flanagan early on because, first off, all the stuff in the Overlook Hotel in Doctor Sleep feels kind of tacked on. Um, but he he did. Get, he's like, hey, look, we'll give you that ending, but it's like, look, we gotta if we're going to make a a movie sequel to The Shining. It has to be a sequel to the iconic version. I think. It, I think by that point, King realized that is the the version of The Shining that everybody gravitates towards. Yeah. But the what I was going to say a, a, a bit ago is, yeah, Carrie is a great movie. I think Stephen King doesn't translate as well to film. I think. I think it's because just his style of writing. Um, Look at the new stand. I mean. I don't think it's a style of writing is that Stephen King can't write a fucking ending. He's never been able to write a fucking well, ending. He's like a Blumhouse film. He doesn't know how to write endings. So what you do is you get a great build up and then you got, you got this weird tacked on happy ending. He's a pantser. He writes I don't from the think it pants. or any of those were happy fun. endings. But the it, best it, it's it's kind of. The book, it has a shitty ending. I'm sorry, this mock turtle crap thing at the end of that? What the hell is all that? <laughs> The best Stephen King movies are the ones that deviated most from his writing. Yes. Well, he had a good base. He just not a good screenplay, maybe. Well, Misery, misery. I, I'll give Misery probably a, a good adaption. Dolores yeah, Claiborne is a good, good adaption, but they still I love have Dolores Claiborne to make it a bit more filmatic. I don't read. I stopped reading Stephen King after for you know from the nineties onwards, but yeah. from the earlier stuff. Salem's Lot, they're... I, I mean, love Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot's pretty books. faithful. 
Not really. It's, it's not painful, painful at all. It's a again, monster vampire. Know, it's a Nosferatu. It's a Nosferatu, yeah. But it's I Toby like Hooper. Mason. Toby Hooper's a genius. And, and, and I love the, 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 that's, that Salem's Lot miniseries. Man, that, David that Soul. changed my life, man, when I was a little kid. You know, I saw that, and I've been a horror freak. I loved it, too. Am I? But that kid, like the little Danny at the window, whatever his name was, yeah. that fucked me yeah, up Glick. for the longest time. That am I, am I misremembering this, or was there a shorter version of that that was on home video? Because I, 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 there was, yeah, I remember, yeah. I remember renting that. it. It was only one VHS tape. Then when I bought the Blu-ray, I'm like, wait, it's three hours? Yes. <laughs> they condensed it for theatrical release. It was a TV yeah. from network television, so it did... So there are limitations with providing that because it's network television in the... 80s and let's face it there's not a lot you can get away with at that time and they and toby hopper pushed as far as this go then they decide to release it internationally through europe and uk as a theatrical film so what you got on the vhs was a theatrical film which has a little bit more there's a little bit more gore in it a little bit more subtle differences in it but not a lot sort of thing but it is cut shorter as well it kind of goes from A to B very quickly. They filmed that right down the road from me. And um, they had a 40-year anniversary a couple years ago. Uh, I went down there. They actually had me. Uh, inter- they had the actor who played Danny Glick come. And they had me come and introduce everybody and uh, do a reading from the from the book. It was really cool. Because there's that yeah. graveyard there. I go hang out at that graveyard all the time, man. It's just If you're a fan of Salem's Lot, you should check out the radio drama that the BBC did. Salem's Lot was really good. Oh yeah, six-part radio drama that does a really fantastic job with it as well. And there again, we had to change some of the things to make it more readable. And I, you know, you know, well, I mean, Salem's Lot also. Stephen King also did his version of Salem's Lot, which we'll be covering next year. But um, but yeah, the Bob Lowe version. Yeah, I'm ready for it. I have the DVD, so I'm ready for it. (laughs) I liked it. (laughs) I mean, the thing about playing plot, I mean, you, you get a fairly good adaption, and the stuff that they didn't show that's in the book, it has to do, I'm sure it has more to do with, you know, critics and censors and what you could show on network television. Salem's Lot was on network television when you only had three or four channels before cable. Yeah. I watched it when it aired, man. I was all about it. I well, Dr. It. Howard did a good job in the, in the, the newer version. I really like yeah. that, that, that. That's why when you see the number of the second part came out. I love James Mason, though. Turn and face the master. Yes, that's <laughs> you know, so good. Epic. Yes. That's why when you, when, you ratings, when you see the ratings for these uh, for these TV movies, and they have like these monster like 55-point 50, ratings. It's like you're never going to get that now because there's too many TV channels. <laughs> right. Oh, um, man. Yeah, so, you know, which is... You know, which is kind of, that's why I also, that's why I'm kind of wondering about some of what Stephen King said about when The Shining came out, because he only had one book of his, of his come out, just say, which Carrie, which got rave reviews and got Oscar nominations and kind of did something that a horror film really fairly rarely did at that point. Mm-hmm. And then The Shining came out and it's like, and Carrie wasn't a faithful adaption, but it did got, get him noticed. And if it wasn't for Carrie the movie, he probably wouldn't have been the novelist he is today. Because Carrie the book True. sold a, but after the movie came out, it sold a lot, it sold even better. And then The Shining comes out second, so you know, but you know, it's kind of hard. You know, I'm kind of wondering what was behind it, sort of thing. Because I said before, if someone's saying something negative about something, first of all, the critical reviews came out and they were they were very mixed at this moment. Um, 
And, you know, I just didn't get the shining when it first came out though. Well, I think it's a different, I mean, it, it, it turned the tide. It changed the way that you look at horror films. I mean, normally horror films are, you know, whether you're looking at Italian horror films or American horror films up until that point, I mean, they have, there's a formula to them and Stanley Kubrick doesn't fit that formula. I mean, Halloween, you know, kill it, killing happens, time passes, and then you have a stock and slash starts up. That's starting up at the same time. Ghost Story was kind of overwrought. It's an okay movie. The book's a lot better, of course. Right. So you kind of had that. And then, but it kind of, but it feels like an old fashioned movie shot in 1980. Unlike say. Halloween Kills or the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre that everybody's well, beating the hell out of. <laughs> but, the new Texas Chainsaw was so terrible. Mm. Uh, but there's some um, horror films that are artistic, though. Let's face it. There's very few horror films that are, are considered highbrow art. And well, no, I think nowadays there is. Nowadays they all are. Us, um, all yeah. the A24 movies, you know, Hereditary, Midsommar, yeah. uh, The Lighthouse, Killing of a I Sacred love The Fear. Lighthouse. It's I still think, was that, was there, before, I know what this is not, not on topic, but I'm always confused about The Lighthouse. Was there some gay stuff going on well, there? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yes, I think so. Because he I said that he tell. filmed the shot of a penis rising up, and the penis fades into a lighthouse and becomes the lighthouse. They actually oh, shot it and did, did it. I catch but then that? He, they had to take it out. And he took it out. He said, it was "Oh, I was going to say because I didn't see it's, that." It's still more erotic as hell. There's a point where they almost kiss, and then they yeah, that is what I was wondering about. I was like, that that movie confused me to no end. I don't oh, know it's why. So weird. So these, weird. these kinds of like art house was good movies have always existed. It it's just now we're, they're finally getting their due. Because even in the seventies, you had the Wicker Man. Um, it's a musical, though. It's like, come on. <laughs> What's that? It's a weird musical. I don't know if it's like an art film. The Wicker Man. Cool. I love it. Don't get me wrong. I think what Robin Hart. I think what Robin Hardy was trying to do was what we would now call, you know, quote unquote, elevated horror. Um, I mean, when you think of, I, I think even going back as far as uh, I, the first one I can think of that I could maybe say was probably a, like an attempt at making an art house horror movie was probably The Black Cat in 1934. Or German expressionism uh, before that, you know, Cabinet Dr. Caligari, not well, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, that, that was yeah. my art. You know what? And that's yeah, you're absolutely right because that's where Ulmer got a lot of his ideas was from the 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 old German uh, German expressionist films. Um, I think he actually worked at some point with uh, with uh, with nice. Murnau, Murnau, if I remember correctly. I think he did work with Murnau. I think he did work with a lot of those guys before he he emigrated to the United States. So it's the art house horror. I feel like it's always yeah. been there. It's just we're finally Definitely. now accepting it as like no horror movie can be considered high art. I think back then they just mm-hmm. kind of dismissed everything that was horror as just kid stuff or just you know right. low brow, even though you had. Uh, you like even some of the Corman stuff in the the early sixties, the the Vincent Price movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're I just kids stuff. stuff. But when you watch them, they're actually very good. Yeah. Um, Original Cat People. That was you know. Oh, that, but fuck! How do yeah, I not I, mention Val Luton? Val Luton was making art house horror in the forties, right? But I also think is that you also. But I'm saying it when the Stanley Kubrick's came out. This came out in 1980. You have to look at what was constituted in horror. What were the big oh, horror yeah. films that came out? Slash movies. Rosemary's Baby, The Omen, The Exorcist, Halloween, and there is, you know, I mean, there there is an art artfulness, but I mean, this is Stanley Kubrick, and I guess that what you have basically is that Stanley Kubrick's going to do a horror film, but then this comes on the back of Barry Lyndon in 2001, yeah, and, and you know, and, and, and you know, it's a bit like a bunch of Andy Warhol 
people going to you know like very highbrow art people going to see a yes. highbrow art thing and then and then they, and they find something that they think is going to be something but it doesn't live up to their expectation doesn't right. mean it lives up to the public's expectation doesn't live up to their and film the, the, the bar is so high anyway you know <laughs> at this time they were a bit up their own arse and if and you know another thing you have to remember about critics at this time is that if you're riding on a huge wave and you got and you're and you're this director or whatever riding on this huge wave, even if you're an actor, they're just waiting to find something to pick bring you back down a little bit. That's what critics do. You know? Yeah. When, yeah. when he got the Andy Warhol thingy, and it's just like they said that some of his best work was before he died. He came out with these fantastic things. But the critics are always attacking him because they could because he was coming to he was up here now, sort of thing. So it was easy, but then they could take someone down here who might be doing the same thing and then bring them up and talk about that. And film critics are normally people who, if you can't do the job, you normally criticizing the job. You know, it's like, you know, if you can't act, you're normally an acting teacher. Right. <laughs> you can't write right. you're an a critic. You know what I mean? It's like, if you, if you can't write a screenplay, they're the ones that are writing film, they're the ones writing, you know, they become film critics. Yep. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I think in this case, yeah, he deviates a lot from the novel. I think he took the themes of alcoholism and he, I, I, and the idea of somebody coming to take, to take the soul. And I think Kubrick just kind of wanted to remake the Phantom Carriage. And I think that's just where we were with this right. one, because I think he wanted to stay away from, from doing everything too close to the novel the what about Lloyd the bartender uh, for Lloyd the bartender creepy as fuck but oh fuck yeah wasn't he ever, in a movie like with the genie he was like the genie in the bottle no way I don't think he's in a lot of fil- films he did a lot of films day. and yeah. I didn't know that the other gentleman who was in the interview he played Punch's pilot in Jesus Christ Superstar Nelson, yeah. totally went over my head did you guys ever look at some of the drafts that they made where uh, they were going to make Holleran go bad yeah so, there were some weird that. screenplay drafts they had. I hated like, seeing Scatman Crothers get it, though. I loved him. I just loved him. It's like, God, why do they got to kill him? But somebody's got to die. You got an axe. It's like, it's somebody's like, got to you know, die. I know. Chekhov's gun, right? He didn't <laughs> yeah. even get a chance to really do anything, though. He just got there and he, he brought the snowmobile. He brought the. Uh, oh, the cat. The yeah, the Arctic cat. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had two Jesus Christ Superstar cast album members in here. I mean, the the concept they're actually from the concept album. Barry Denon as well is in there as well. Is he? You know, this Jesus must die, must die, must die. Yeah, Caiaphas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love and Jesus the pilot guy was Barbara Streisand. He, he was date um, Barbara Streisand's ex boyfriend who became a big gay person later on. The guy from Barbara, Licorice Barbara's Pizza. Doing Eliza. The hairdresser. <laughs> Um, the one he plays, um, Stuart Ullman. Oh, okay. Harry Nelson. Did you see Licorice Pizza? He's quite nope. a superstar yeah. person. So, I will be, I will be seeing actors that. anyway. I mean, you got to remember all these people are, I mean, this is all filmed over here as well. I think the only Americans are basically, um, Dad Nicholson and, um, Sally Duvall. Everyone else is English. Wait, it's so weird looking. <laughs> Seriously, he gets the weirdest looking actors, don't you think? Like when I watch a Clockwork Orange and stuff. Yeah, that that in itself though, that was just such a strange movie. Yeah, he's got those shots of terror, and he's got him in when in a Clockwork Orange when the writer's watching his wife get raped, and there's like the close up of his face yeah. and his eyes bugging out, and then he does the same thing in um 
in The Shining with Danny when he sees the twins. It's like the same, that look of, or also in Shelley Duvall. It's, it's like that painting the screen. Shelley Duvall really nails it there. When, when, but it's that look of terror. He always... Uh, he, he also does everything very stage as well, center as well, which is which is kind of weird because this is before video is just about coming onto the market as far as being able to do that. And as you know, when you saw a lot of older movies, especially I mean, this is a seventy mil film anyway. So basically, you know that that with, when this when this came out in video, I think over eighty two, eighty three, it's going to be a pan and scan thing. And it was quite interesting that basically all his stuff takes place right in the middle. All his faces are right in the middle. The conversations yeah. are right in the middle. They're not, you know, a lot of times what they'll do is a director will sit there and go, okay, Shelley Duvall's going to be on the left, Jack Nicholson's going to be on the right, and then we'll get a pan and scan version. We got that thing going back and forth. Like, like yeah, with a lot of older maybe films. You guys like could, kept in the middle. Maybe you guys could answer, because I didn't understand this fact. They said Kubrick used another film uh, as an example for his cast, and he may, let them watch David Lynch's uh, Eraserhead. That of mm-hmm. course, little Danny didn't see it. Oh, thank God! But I, but you I know, what was he going for when he wanted them to watch Eraserhead and incorporate that into The Shining? Because I am not a director or a scriptwriter. So well, that has a lot of stoic oh, acting in it. The Eraserhead has a lot of stoic acting in it. There, there's not only emotional acting in um, Eraserhead. That's true. I didn't think Eraserhead is so fucking weird. It is yeah. weird. That's up there with that that Chinese that that, that Japanese film with the metal guy. Oh yeah, Tish, t- 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 the Iron Man, right? Oh uh, yeah, that, that's two. Oh yeah, it's the two of the Iron Man. That was just um, blew my mind. That one. <laughs> it's yeah. like, Whoa! It reminds me of Racerhead a lot. Yeah, I guess the soundtrack. Um, you know, it has it does have like there's parts of Racerhead that are so silent that sometimes you don't realize that there's music playing underneath everything. And Shining does that as well. Every time I watch Razorhead, no, I still no, don't know what the no, hell I'm watching. You know, <laughs> or anything like yeah. that. But Shining, it just kind of like kind of weaves in and out of the soundtrack. I love that, that, that soundtrack so much, man. Which that was one? Was good about do- the, the Shining. When they Dr. Oh, Sleep came out, man, I was just like, just the music. I was like, oh. It's so foreboding, yeah. you know, and it's ominous music. Did you guys see the, the helicopter's shadow? When they were driving, I didn't notice it. I, I've heard that, man. I need to. I, can't, I never see it because uh, I, I, I caught. I thought I caught it, and then I see a documentary, and it's really there. And right. I didn't see Kubrick's face in the clouds. I have tried to find it. I can't see it. I see Kubrick's face in every cloud. He <laughs> <laughs> <You> would. <laughs> the the interesting thing about the the uh, that that opening theme is that I I watched. Um, the return of Dracula later that night, just like on a whim. I just, I had just gotten the DVD on Amazon. I'm like, you know what? I haven't seen this in a long time. And I didn't realize uh, that it's the same opening theme playing, uh, playing over the credits of uh, the return of Dracula. I forget what the classical musical piece is called. It's in a lot of stuff. It's yeah. Not, I, saw, it, I heard of the NPR I thought thing. Funny the day, they were the same movie day. after movie after movie. It was in, it was, yeah. But he, I, I mean, they, 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 they make it the room. Really they had all those other, you know, I mean, the instrumentation and the noises. This, yeah, you know, the opening, um, the opening music is Berlin's um, G's Eire. It's a segment from the Symphony Fantastique, right? Yeah, because yeah. he always, always music. Ha- I mean, all his movies actually do have a a classical soundtrack to them. They like tend to be Wendy and Wendy or Walter Carlos, depending on what he who he is at that person at that moment in time. Wendy now. Um, he did. She did work a lot with him, 
you know, a lot of films with him. You know, Clockwork Orange, 2001. Um, Metal Gear Jacket, she's on there as well. Um, sort of thing. So, I mean, after oh, this Metal movie, I mean, Jacket. does everybody have the eyebrow thing going on with his movies? Hmm. You know, the looking down and the, you know, the crazy look. Well, that yeah. was, well that, that's actually something else I wanted to bring up because is this, I, I realized, yeah, he played Randall P. McMurphy before this. Was, was this the beginning of, uh, of creepy psycho Jack Nicholson? Because I don't remember, like, aside from a couple moments here and there in the Corman movies where, like, his character right. lost well, his mind. Went over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, he had just won the Oscar for it. Yeah. He's crazy Jack in as well. He really, he really wasn't. He really wasn't the creepy Jack Nicholson in that, though, was he? Because I don't remember. I don't remember it being like that. Like, uh, yeah, of course he's crazy because he's. He, but I just crazy. Can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's one floor. It's one floor of the well, cuckoo's nest. I don't remember him being crazy in that. I don't remember the creepy, crazy Jack Nicholson as Jake Giddies. So uh, I'm, I'm like, is this the beginning of like the over the top? Jack Nicholson's just going to play a fucking crazy person and that's it. Or maybe that was one flow of the cuckoo's nest. I got to, I got to rewatch uh, that. I, I think it started with a little shop of horrors. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. true. Too. You might be right on that. That's yeah. crazy rider. Uh, you the know. crazy person in the terror. Easy rider. He, he came He's off as crazy, guy, but he wasn't lawyer. really creepy. I don't, I don't think he was creepy in easy rider. Was with it a easy man? He was creepy. Wolf or whatever Wolfman. He does that. There is a. Oh, Wolf. I remember Wolf with Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. That was after this, though. Right. Yeah. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to like Ryder. There's a slight craziness underneath it. I mean, he's a fun crazy, but there is a slight craziness. Yeah, like like he wasn't the creepy crazy Easy Rider. Easy Rider. I love that movie. Seen that in a long time. I, I, just, I, I stole my sickle. I just recently, <laughs> I just recently rewatched it, and that that, that that ending is still so fucking dark and so. Well, even, uh, I mean, he he was an Oscar after this in '82, wasn't it for Terms of Endearment? That's crazy, Jack, as well. Batman. <laughs> I just think he was that crazy in that. Yeah, it just see, it just seems like there's a point where like that's all he played going forward, and I'm. Well, I'm he's so good at it, though. He's brilliant at being in I that think job. I always played someone on slightly unhitched, though, in everything he's done. Well, I, can't, I can't think of anything where he does. I can't. It's probably try to think of one film that he doesn't play someone who's a little bit crazy in anything. Is there anyone that he doesn't play that in? I know there's he, one. Even the terror, he he's he's still got that little quality to him where he's a little yeah, unhitched. There's that man. There's that little bit of a maniac underneath in the terror. Well, maybe he's really like that, you know, from the reports, you know, <laughs> he's kind of crazy. Well, <laughs> what was that movie? Oh, what's it called? Oh, God. Anger management. That movie yeah. kills me every <laughs> time. When they get in a fight with the, the, the Hare Krishna guys or whatever they are, the Tibetan monks. <laughs> did, you get, did you guys hear recently? Uh, he went to the Staples Center and uh, so, something happened where he was trying to he was trying to get to his seats, and the the usher blocked him because they, they didn't know who he was. <laughs> right, like that's Jack fucking Nicholson. Yeah, he's not big mean. now. Do you see him spill his chili? No. Oh, dude, it's so depressing. You probably don't want to. It's so depressing. He's sitting like right on the basketball court in the front. You know what I mean? And he's got and he's fucking. Oh, he's straight up and he's got this <laughs> huge Tupperware of chili, and he's eating it, and he 
fucking drops it, dude. All, it's like all over the court and everywhere. Are you serious? How did yeah, I miss fucking, this? You're like, dude, technicals and is a fat slob. I'm so depressed. <laughs> oh, well, man. Like nine years old now, that he's, he's entitled to, to do whatever. Yeah. To, to, yeah. How well, old is he now? He's like 85, what's 90. What's interesting? And no, he ain't that old. He's got to be. He's been around since the late fifties, early sixties. Yeah, my grandson just took my phone. If he was twenty years old, let's say nineteen sixty. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say he he he's uh, Little Shop of Horrors was nineteen sixty. That's true. That was a long time ago, but that depresses me. He is getting old. We're all getting old. I mean, what's quite interesting about Jad Nicholson is in nineteen seventy nine, Jad Nicholson finds out on live TV that his mother is not his mother. That his that he who he thought was his sister was his mother the whole time. He finds that out on live TV. Really? Took, took him down to Chinatown. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's quite interesting. That happened just before he shot the shining. That happened the year before. That, that that's the interesting thing is that that, that, that mess you up a little bit. I mean to be in there like Oh yeah. So they say it happened to Ted Bundy. Yeah. Uh, it's literally the it's literally the twist in Chinatown. It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's literally the twist in Chinatown happened to him in real life. I think uh, he's, he's, what's he saying when he's smacking her? She's like, he's my TV father. He's my lover. He's my father. He's my lover. Like that. <laughs> and he's hitting but her. Jack found out on TV. He didn't know anything about it. And Mike Douglas goes, oh, we brought your mother out. And he, the, the person comes out. And he goes, no, that's my sister. He goes, no, she's got something to tell you. Like, really? Very, How did that? I've got to look that up. Very like, yeah, like what a shitty way to... That's they a shitty thing to do. Yeah. Sort of like, you know, get putting Boris Karloff on my, what's my life or whatever. And he didn't want to do that. I mean, people that he should warn people. He should not do people dirty like that publicly. Yeah, but there's a difference between Boris Karloff on This Is Your Life where everyone's talking about how wonderful he is. And then yeah, <laughs> but he was a private man. Yeah, that that is fucked up, though. I can't imagine somebody. I mean, why would he have his that? mother, his mother come out and do it? I mean, what's that? What kind of family is going on there? So his grandmother, who he thought was his mother, this whole for thirty years. Yeah, this is and not the way to find out publicly with the rest of the world. So yeah, the four uh, the four K resolution version is one hundred forty six minutes, two hours and forty six minutes. That's the uh, oh, Okay, I have one hundred and forty four minutes on my Blu Ray, so yeah. all right, so like two minutes more. Yeah. All right, does it? Does it have the ending shot with the nurse? Which one? It's, it's, I don't think that it exists anymore. I think it's gone. But there, there was an originally an ending where um, Shelley Duvall is in the hospital and uh, Almond comes in and uh, says to her like something and, it, and throws her the ball that Danny played with. No. You guys don't know about that? It was the original ending and he it went out to the theaters that way. And he fucking actually had editors go to the movie theaters, grab the reels, cut that two minutes out, and paste them, paste them back together. Huh. And supposedly there's no footage of it. I don't know. He somehow got them all, did everyone to destroy it. I would really, really like to see it. There's still shots of it. You can see still shots of it. I can't remember, actually, because the problem, the problem with this film with me with the ending, and it's not a problem with the ending, but because it's such a strong ending... That I kind of remember them going, getting going there, and then basically seeing Jack being frozen in a maze, and then the and then the picture, of course, is that he's been sucked in. He's part of the 
overlook um, history. And that because that's so strong, I can't remember if it actually does cut to anything else. I'm trying. I want to say no, but I can't even be sure now. Oh, uh, you mean in your version? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, here's a, a, um, has anybody here read the novel? Yeah. yeah, many times. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you you, you did say it. the the ghosts in the novel are they from the twenties or the thirties? From all remember? different years. What? Yeah. It's Wait, from the Miss Miss Massey. Is that who you're talking about? The ghost in the in the bathtub bathroom. Twenties well, or thirties? That's a good question, bro. I, I actually well, don't. I would have to look it movie, up. In the movie, it specifically states 1921. And I, I was wondering that because that's Mrs. the year Massey. Phantom... We'll type in Mrs. Massey and see what it says. <laughs> because that's that's the year the, the Phantom Carriage came out. And I'm wondering if Kubrick specifically Ooh. did that for that reason or if that was in the novel. And I don't know that. Ha! That's, that's interesting. That. Yeah. Because I'm wondering if he just kept making, and then that might be maybe what pissed King off is, yeah, you didn't do you didn't do my movie, but you kept making allusions to this other movie from sixty. Yeah, there are quite a few nods after seeing it. Yeah. So I, I, that, it made me wonder if if he was going for that instead of, uh, and that may be another thing that just pissed King off. Just you're 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 completely deviating from mine. But just yeah, I, I couldn't find it. I was trying to Google it to see what when the. Uh, uh, what you know? If there's anything in there regarding, you know, the she's way that. older in the book, man. I, she's way. She didn't die until 1973 in the book. Yeah. So he does. He makes her way older. Yeah, Kubrick does because if that's the, a reference the, to the that, ghost, that's really cool. And another thing with the ghost and the Overlook basically is that, and they don't, they don't, they make it seem like Jack is the one that they want, but it's not Jack they want. It's Danny. Danny. Yeah, that's the whole. That's the whole thing of the book, the book signing. Um, it's not, and here it's not. They're not. They're not even relaying that they want Danny in the book. You know, in the movie, in, in, in Kubik's version, right? It, you know, there's no. It's not the, the ghosts are not in it for Danny. They're kind of in it for whatever. You and, don't really know. know and the, the and and he goes good in the in the book. He goes. He he could kill Danny with the with the. It's a croquet mallet. Yeah, and uh, just when he's gonna crush his head in, like the good Jack comes out and is like, "Run, Danny, run!" And he starts yeah. hitting himself in the face instead. So Stephen King, and, and, and you go so so on the movie. The <laughs> family hotel. That's that's the croquet they play with. Is those great big mallets. That's what they have there. Yeah, yeah. and you can yeah. see why that wouldn't work in, in in you know in the movie. And we'll 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 discuss how how well it works uh, when we get to the ninety seven version. All right. So I guess what we'll do is um, any final thoughts on The Shining? Loved it. Love it. <laughs> iconic. It's an American I- iconic. It's a part of our culture. It's part of like who we are. It's you don't even have to I like am. horror to watch it. It could get it's it could fill any genre really. <laughs> it could. You see references to it everywhere constantly. Yeah, it's you. It's now for 40, 42 years later. It's yeah. an untouchable classic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it may it may have been mixed I didn't reviews. I they did a two thousand eleven version either. I haven't seen that. The two thousand eleven version. Yeah, I was reading about. Yeah, it was I saw it on IMDb. The kids got my phone. Look it up at IMDb, 2011. Uh, I didn't even know it was a 2011. Version. I didn't either. I didn't either, man. How do I not know that? 
but yeah, there's um crazy Stanley Kubik's dreamscape. It's a dreamscape film. Yeah, it's a you know uh-huh. no, nothing makes any sense. You just kind of sit back and just have to enjoy it because you can't wake up. And then, yep. and then he wakes up and he wants you to wake up, and that's at the very end. And even after that, you don't really wake up until the, the final credits start rolling. You kind of just like, can't move through it. Right. And it does make sense. I mean, when you look at Kubik's version of it, I mean, none of it lines up. None of it lines up. You know, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the scenery doesn't line up. The uh, the logistics of it don't line up. The whole hotel is a logistic nightmare, basically. I mean, it's amazing that, you know, obviously he's a strong storyboarder. He has to be, be able to put all this stuff in. You know, another thing that we do know is that when it came to props and stuff like this, he didn't trust set designers. He had to put everything up himself. He was very... Very know, meticulous, rich. yeah. Mm-hmm. So this yep. is... Um, and after Thank the nightmare know. of um, Barry Lyndon, I mean, beautiful to look at, but oh God, what a boring <laughs> I mean, pe- people say like that, you know, the house is a character and this is a character. You know, the house is kind of a character, don't in you think? this movie, more than ever, more than any other time I've ever seen it, the hotel itself is is, is a character because you do feel this sense of this sense of dread. It's very ominous. Yeah. And I, I think it's all in the way Kubrick shot it because it's you just see mm-hmm. like just all this space that's not occupied by people. Yeah. There's nobody there. And it's just you just you just feel how lonely it is in this version because everything is huge and there's nobody there. It's it's really, really amazing. Like I I felt I mean, I was watching it by myself anyway. My my roommate was at work, and I had it on, and I had the lights out and everything, and I'm like, okay, I actually feel very alone watching this movie right now. And I think it's the first time I've ever watched it completely alone. And when you do that, and you, like, I, I, have, my, um, I have my blackout curtains, and I had the lights out, and I'm like, I felt like there was nothing. Uh, it felt lonely. I felt like it lasted 2024, too. Freaked me out. It's, they said that's going to follow... The book closer than the the original Kubrick version in twenty twenty four. That's 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 Stephen King trying to make more money. Um, I mean, you know, another thing that you know, another thing is that I was discussing the the Shining with a friend of mine who's a huge fan of the Shining, and he sits there and goes, "If you look at the Shining, is that suppose it's Danny getting revenge on his dad? Danny has his secret power, and he's just getting revenge on his dad." Wow! Yeah, I never thought of that. And maybe, oh, it is, yeah. and he goes, and he goes, and I go, well, what about the door opening? He goes, how do you know that Danny didn't open the door? Yep. Where was Danny when the door was open? He was yeah. in the, where was he? He's in his mom's room being a little weirdo. His well, his mom's drawing asleep. on the mirror and stuff, drawing on the door, sitting there yeah. with his knife while his mom's sleeping. Well, at the same time, is like, you know, another thing is with Stanley Kubik, you can't trust time frames. Yeah. You could have been doing that. Anything. And then, 45 minutes later, the door opens. You know what I mean? But, you the, but you know, because when they, you know, when, uh, when, Grady's outside though, talking to him, opening the door for him though. Not if Danny, right. not if Danny can make you think what he wants to think if Danny's yeah. got special powers. Absolutely. That's think an interesting it. take. You know, but would he be that mad at his father? His father almost, he, he broke his, dislocated his, his shoulder, broke his arm. Yeah. Broke his, his arm, yelled at him. And, Let's face it. I mean, his his mom in the in this version of The Shining, his mom's tiptoeing around Danny the whole time. Yeah, you know, she's not the typical mother that you find in movies, is she? No, she is. Yeah, 
I mean, you think that Jack should feel a bit guilty, so there'd be a lot more tenderness towards him, but there's not really that much tenderness towards There isn't him. a whole lot of love and passion and fuzzy anything. So in the car going up there, here they are going for this exciting new beginning. That's what was what supposed to be this new beginning for this family. And it's like it's the most depressing new beginning that you're ever gonna find. It's like they're not there's not any lovey dovey oh I love you son or anything about it. Yeah. You got Danny's like just sitting there kind of like you know, afraid to no say the sex way. scene or hint to the sex scene, even. No, there's no sign of any. Well, they got the kid that you know, well, that's it, probably. One time, <laughs> Jack, whenever Jack is in the room with Danny, Danny always looks like Jack's gonna lose it with him at any moment. That's what it feels yeah. like. There's tension all the time. That Have you heard this? He's gonna hit me, he's gonna hit me like an abused right. child. That you know? uh, you you, de- you definitely get that sense when he comes into the room to get his uh, his toy truck, his fire truck, yeah. yeah. And Jack and Jack is like, no, come here, son. Mm-hmm. I don't way. think I would have sat on his lap either. <laughs> there is a there, people. There's a rumor that he that he's molesting him. Have you ever heard that one? I don't abide by it, I, I, but it's art. And if you want to see that in it, you can. I don't possibly. Have you heard that? All you know? I mean, there's there's definitely abuse of some kind that has happened, and we know it because you know when he talks about the arm pulling, I. That's that. That's another. You just yeah. There could, but the kids obviously got something situation wrong with where, them. You know, you got this. Ba- Shelly Shelley Duvall played it more as a battered wife than than Rebecca De Mornay did. But um, yeah, you could definitely see how the, how you know Wendy in that that version of it would just be like, oh well, you know, um, Wendy you know. Wendy's quick quick to criticize that Wendy never once makes a decision either. No. That's true. Just go to boulders and shovel sidewalks. That would make you happy, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> when, well, when that, that, car wash. He's that kind of person that makes you make all the decisions, but then will sit there and criticize you if that decision ends to be a wrong one, even though she never gives you any freaking input whatsoever. You know, it's like, oh, do you want, you know, it's a bit like, you know, should we have Chinese? I don't care. Well, okay. Well, what do you want to tell you? I don't care. Okay, well, fine. I'll order Chinese. Okay, fine. And then the egg roll's cold, and then she's complaining to you about the freaking egg roll. It's like, uh, <laughs> hello. <laughs> Maybe we made a fucking decision every once in a while. We wouldn't be here. <laughs> so you're, you're talking specifically about the Shelley Duvall version, right? Because right. Yeah. That, I get I get that from from her. Rebecca De Mornay plays her in a completely different way. Yeah, that's yeah. totally different woman. Totally but, different woman. So, but if I'm saying the Shelley Duvall version, I mean that's what and that's the kind of character that you get basically. It's someone who doesn't make a decision, but then I mean I look at the age of Stanley Kubik when he made The Shining as well. There is that, you know, post-war mother, you know, and the father seen a lot of um, you know, a lot of action during World War II and a lot of atrocities and stuff like this. And then the mother basically kind of this women in England anyway had, had become softer because they were working in factories and they had to go back to the family life sort of thing. And then we had a lot of PTSD going on here in this, in the, in the UK. And so the mother, you know, there was a little bit of abuse going on and all this other kind of stuff going on behind it while people are trying to rebuild their lives. Cause this is a country that was bombed and all the houses are swiped and London was swiped and sort of thing. And, you know, and then people trying to redefine what the heck, what's going on here. And everyone's, ha- and, you know, the mother's got PTSD because her neighbors, she's seen her neighbors get blown up next door and she didn't die. You know, but basically all the kids in the family next door that you had dinner with the night before are all dead. 
You know, right. so living through the blackout and everything that's going on. Then you got the soldiers coming home after the atrocities that they've seen. And then it's like, okay, now we're playing happy families. And then, you know, and, and you got a lot of, um, not, not so much as what we call physical abuse is, you know, what we think of it today, but there is an abusive sort of thing when two people are trying to re-inhabit this, an area, uh, uh, space that they once inhabited as different people. But now they've gone through all this PTSD, both of them living in this. And the Shelley Duvall character is like a PTSD victim, really. Always yeah. soft, always soft treading, always being careful what she says sort of thing. Doesn't want to make up, doesn't want to make her husband upset sort of thing. But yet, same time, you know, not very supportive whatever decision that the husband, she's forcing the husband to take, but at the same time going along with it. But not never seem very happy, but coming up with like these weird things like, oh, there's a lot of food here. That would be good. You know, <laughs> 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 I mean, they killed. You know, I mean, they were expecting some heavy carnivores at this hotel when these people <laughs> for the winter were like, how much meat? Oh, that? I know they had all that friggin' meat and shit in there. God. If you're yeah. feeling up to it, Dick, why don't you show Mrs. Holland? Mrs. <laughs> yeah, go to the kitchen. Do you know? You know what else I found quite funny about this as well is is that um, there's there's a family of three moving in, right? And the big Costco size, you know, tomato ketchup, you know, <laughs> she's opening that fruit cocktail, yeah. that huge fruit fucking cocktail. Who's going to eat that much fruit cocktail? Yeah. So you're going to have to eat that for like three or four weeks in a row <laughs> before it goes off. Because <laughs> once you open that can, you know, that, that, that the cock starts. That's it. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that brings us to the Shining the miniseries, um, which is basically, we'll call it the Stephen King's The Shining, because that's what he likes to call it. It's a three-episode horror television miniseries based on the 1977 Stephen King novel, the same name, and is directed by Mick Garris from King's um, screenplay. It is the second adaptation of King's book after the 1980 book that we just watched. It was actually on ABC. It was a quick to offer King the ability to write his script for the adaption of his book, thanks to the previous success of King's miniseries, The Stand, which was also directed by Garris. The miniseries was shot at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, King's inspiration for the novel in March 1997. Stephen King jumped at the chance to have his vision sewn into The Shining due to his unhappiness with Quebec's The Shining. The 1997 adaption stars Stephen Weber as Jack Torrance, Rebecca DeMornay as Jack's wife, Wendy, Coutlin Mead with a weird overbite. Um, as a He's a cute kid. Get off the bowl haircut, too. <laughs> Pat Hingle, um, and classic King actors. Pat Hingle was in it. Elliot Gold, John Durbin, Stanley Anderson, Lisa Thornhill, and Garris's wife, Cynthia, appear in supporting roles. And several notable writers and filmmakers who work in the horror genre also cameoed in the miniseries ballroom scene. King himself appearing as an orchestra conductor, hamming it up as always. Originally aired from April 27th to May 1st, 1997 at ABC, The Shining enjoyed a favorable reception when it first aired. It was a ratings hit being in the top 20 of daily viewership. Numbers for all three episodes acclaimed by critics for its careful pacing, makeup, depth, sound editing, and creepy atmosphere, and won two primetime Emmys and two Saturn Awards. However, retrospective critics have viewed the miniseries less fondly, comparing it unfavorably to Cubic's film version. What we're gonna do is cut to the trailer of the Shining the miniseries and we'll be right back. Yeah, you can't fight City Hall. Just put the trap down the way he watches what I do. Besides, every hotel's got rats. 
Feel like every hotel's got its scandals. Any ghosts? The Overlook is full of edges. Last winter, there was a grotesque tragedy. You've got a CB. You want to make damn sure it's working good, because that's your big out in an emergency. Everything bad that happened here is still here. I've had some bad dreams here myself. Now, don't scare the lady, Pete, okay? Well, Jack, maybe it's good to be scared sometimes. A little bit. Said the overlook could have hurt us. But he was wrong. <laughs> Most folks who shine only shine a little. <laughs> I can feel it coming off you like heat. Welcome back to the Show License Podcast, and we're discussing the miniseries The Shining from 1995. Seven. Seven? Seven. 1997. Such wonderful years. Britney Spears is running around in her midriff, and yes, and we got The Shining on ABC television. So, Joe, what's your thoughts about this? Uh, this was the first time I'd seen this version. Um, I... It's funny because when I posted uh, that I was going to watch it at, um, on, on Facebook, I got uh, mixed messages. I got, it was terrible. It wasn't that, that bad. It was awful. Everyone hates the kid. <laughs> but, <laughs> everybody hates, I know Keith yeah. hates everyone, the kids. Haircut. Universally, it seems everybody hates the kid. I'm like, it's a child actor. Can we lay off a little bit? <laughs> Nothing's I mean, sacred. It's the kid's mouth. He's hard to watch. Like a Gerber baby mouth with teeth sticking out of it. Yes, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I thought I was going to hate it going into it. And I don't know if it was really low expectations and also liking uh, other, other films by Mick Garris. Cause I mean, he, he started the masters of horror on Showtime, which I loved. Right. Um, so I, I did not hate this movie as much as everyone led that I, that I would. Um, obviously it's different. It's yeah. not the same as, as the Kubrick version. And this is the whole reason it was made. Um, whole ending, everything. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like, th- I do feel like it was way too long. And uh, this is watching it over two days. I, w- I was just like, there's so many stretches where it feels like nothing's happening. Um, but when it, when something, do- there are, there are moments where it's really effective and there are moments where it's genuinely creepy. Um, 
but there there are also moments where where it's like, where I'm like looking at my clock going can we can we move this along a little bit because I'm like there's literally like nothing happening for like 20 minutes at a time sometimes yeah. but um yeah I don't if nothing else, it kind of made me realize, having watched Dr. Sleep, there were things that, like, I didn't understand as much. Um, well, Tony becomes more apparent, you know? Yeah, to- yeah Tony, yeah. Tony is more, you, you actually see Tony. This thing was, this one was pretty decent with showing things instead of telling them. Um, but it's just that when when they showed them, I kind of felt like it was more effective when it was hinted at, like, I think Tony was more effective when he was just hinted at. I think, uh, I think Shelly Duvall's reaction to, um, to Danny's uh, shoulder getting dislocated was more effective than, uh, but it was another time though. I mean, when, when the shining was filmed 1980, as opposed to the early nineties, do you think maybe that had something to do with, you know, I mean, maybe. I I also think that the miniseries has a lot of Stephen Kingisms in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he wrote the screenplay. Well, he was definitely happier with it. Stephen Stephen King's moms are always very, very strong. His dads are always a bit problematic. Cujo. um, Yeah. The Glick mother putting all her her joys into her sons. And then her sons go missing. That's when she falls apart sort of thing. And she'll do anything to join her sons. But... uh, it's always the mother protecting, but Stephen King's, yeah. Stephen King's a, a, from a single mother family right. sort of thing. So, well, look at it. Look at the father and it to the girl. You know, that's oh my god, too. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's like a trope that he often uses. I mean, a lot that's what's quite interesting about Stephen King and Steven Spielberg. I mean, surprised they haven't worked together because they kind of stare at the same idiots. They talk people. about it. Steven Spielberg's supposed to make a, a what a, a talisman. Mm. Oh, I mean, it's like been talked about in the books. And Steven, him and Steven Spielberg were supposed to make that movie, and then he ended up writing the screenplay, and Spielberg didn't pass on it about the haunted hotel where all the Ghostbusters go to. Right? What's that thing? Is it something? Rose Red. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and that Red. Movie, um, Spielberg. That he that was originally a Spielberg pro, uh, project, and Spielberg had gotten him to write it. I think that ended up being Craig Baxley, I think, ended up directing that from uh from my come in peace, if I remember correctly. I remember mm-hmm. liking that. I saw I, I saw that miniseries when it came out in the early two thousands. I remember I I remember liking that. I remember liking Kingdom Hospital. Um I think they're related, aren't they? It's Kingdom been Hospital a long... is based on a Dutch miniseries. Based on Lars von Trier, yeah. But I uh, was Rose Red uh, oh no, Rose Red was uh, was the diary uh, the diary of Ellen Rimbauer. Are, are the ones that are linked. Yeah, um, that was kind of a piss take, of the, not a piss take, but kind of a nod to the Winchester, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. But uh, that, yeah, that's right. King, yeah. Kingdom Hospital. Was, yeah, Kingdom Hospital. Uh, was Lawrence 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 yeah, yeah. I've gone to the Winchester House of Mystery. Oh yeah. Or you can. I want to go there on Halloween. They do a big thing on Halloween. So much he decided to adopt it into the Rose Red with the moving rooms. Yeah, and I I remember liking that too. I mean, I again with this one, I didn't, I I don't dislike it. I think it has its purpose. I think if you watch all three, it actually feels like it actually feels like a more concise story when you get to Doctor Sleep. If you watch the the ninety seven version and the nineteen eighty version, so yeah, I didn't. um, I I don't I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's just kind of there in the middle, like. 
I like the it, scenes though. that work work. The scenes that don't don't. Like I don't think we needed to see the woman in now two seventeen, not two thirty seven. Yes. We didn't need right. to see her actually pull Danny back in. I, I mean, we we kind of inferred already what was happening. Um, Why was it two seventeen? Was that because, because it was in the, the book, novel. right? That's, no, that's the original book. Yeah, it was the original. Okay, that's right. Two thirty seven in the moon. Okay, this yeah. Is- this is yeah, that's, book, that's where that comes from. I, I, I haven't read that book in decades, though. So. I didn't see Room 237 either because I didn't want anything kind of coloring my judgment coming into this. I kind of wanted to just come in with my own thoughts and not think like, okay, this, gotcha. there's this and this. Um, yeah, so, yeah, like the effects are you know bad because it's it's the 90s the, the um it's the age of it's the age of the what were the tv series as we're always out and they had the picture of the person you know they always showed you the, the picture and then they have the name of the actor and it was such a weird time the 90s yeah. were kind of the hangover to the 80s i think but so yeah i mean it's i i think it's okay i think in the grand scheme of things i think i i i like it enough that I would revisit it. Um, this this probably would have benefited a little from from like one of those like conde- like there there were TV movies in the uh, the nineties and early two thousands where they did condense them on home video. Like, yeah, like um, I remember when the last Don movies came out uh, based on the Mario Puzo novels. They would uh, they were two night miniseries, but then when the uh, when the VHS tapes uh, came out, they were two hours and forty minutes. Just cut out like an hour and a half. I feel like this would have been better, maybe better served as a two night thing instead of a three night thing. Um, Cause I think then you could have trimmed, uh, trimmed a lot of the fat. Um, I absolutely love uh, uh, Melvin Van Peebles in this. I think he's, I think he's awesome. I think it, he's, I wish he would have been in it more. I wish we would have seen, uh, I wish we would have seen more of him. Um, and Rebecca De Mornay plays the uh, plays Wendy in a completely different way that right. I didn't I did not see coming. Again, I didn't read the novel. I never um, uh, I I never read it. So a totally different woman. Yeah, she is a completely different woman. And I could see why King didn't like the Shelley Duvall portrayal. Well, she was so mousy. She was like, she was like, you know, Olivia de Havilland and and Gone with the Wind. She was the mousy, you know, other. And then you have Scarlet. You know, and here you got gorgeous Rebecca De Mornay, who's not mousy at all by any measure. And- oh, she is going to stand up to uh, to Stephen Weber's Jack every chance she gets. Yeah, and I, I appreciate I appreciate I appreciate both portrayals um, because obviously in the Kubrick version, that's the version that's going to work in that universe. Because right. when you're because mm-hmm. you ain't standing up to Jack Nicholson. No. <laughs> Does anybody uh, but- ever stand up to Jack Nicholson? Stephen Weber, that's why you Stephen Weber. Yeah, the lobotomy. Yeah, with the lobotomy, it's a different story. Well, yeah, you get yeah, you get Nurse Ratchet. Yeah. Um, in this version, I never felt like like that, but this could be again just who Jack is, uh, Jack Nicholson rather. Who Jack Nicholson is? I really got to watch this now because I got Jack Nicholson playing Jack Torrance. And I can't say Jack Torrance because that could be either one. Um, the way Nicholson portrays him, it might just be Nicholson. Nicholson's creepy the entire time. Yeah. Weber, I never got that sense. Like he was actually like, like he would get angry, but he never gave off like that, that, um, that feeling like he could actually hurt you. 
Yeah. I feel like that's he's kind of, yeah, he's not. I think what was it? He, I think Rebecca De Mornay is the one that got Wepper chosen for the role because Garris, I guess Stephen King said he was going to wait another 18 years. They couldn't come up with a Jack Torrance. He was getting pissed. They well, couldn't find they somebody. One Gary Sinise and he was going to do. Yeah. And, and then or Gary Tim Daly. Um, I think Gary Sinise. You went in to do Forrest Gump instead. Uh, Gary Sinise has that thousand yard stare too that he probably he does. Gary Sinise would have been a great Jack. No, nothing against Stephen Weber. You know the the guy was yeah the guy's a uh, you know fantastic performer. But yeah, I just don't. I feel like he was kind of miscast in this because I, I never I man. never felt like he like he could actually like 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 be a threat. It's not he's prettier than Jack Nicholson. That's probably one of the reasons. Jack Nicholson just looks demonic. He does. He, I mean, <laughs> well, even on a good day, he looks demonic. I think. So I think what you have to do is in this Shining, you kind of have to separate exactly two different, two different things. One is Cubic's version of the Shining, which is basically where he's kind of used. He's kind of used the name of the name and the place and came up with his own story. Where this is a faithful adaptation of the book. This is the book word for word. And I have to sit there and say that the Jack in the book kind of fits this Stephen Weber good guy character, which is the basic Stephen King trope of the good guy character. He's the good guy. Something bad's happening and he's slowly turning, even though he's fighting that turn sort of thing. So what we got is... so And... Here and then, and then, like the book, the Jack Torrance character doesn't become mean, he becomes possessed. Yeah, yes, there's definitely that in this version. Um, and that's what that's what you're kind of getting. That's the reason why he kind of goes all demon looking at the end and all that sort of thing. That's him being possessed and after being, of course, being beaten up by him, right? I didn't know Garris directed the stand, too. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he was for a while. He was Stephen King's like go-to director. I did not uh, know that. So, was he barrier, a, fa- oh, a father man. possessed or an actual bad father? You know what I mean? Like, well, they made it look like he was like. At, I think that you know, a father that's bad is like the worst thing that there is, probably in in one of the worst things in the world. You know what I mean? But are you looking at that through the same eyes I am, where I'm looking at it as a realist, because demonic possession doesn't actually happen. It's not real. So, yeah, there's actually real... You have not met my (laughs) (laughs) ex-husband. But there's... But there's real, like, legitimately bad people in the world, so to to a degree... There are evil people, as we all know. Um, Well... I'm just saying Jack Nicholson looks like a demon. That's all. It's that face. I mean, even when he smiles politely, he still looks like Jack Nicholson. (laughs) I think this is one of the things that defines horror as opposed to dark fantasy. I think this is one of the things that that shows the line between horror and dark fantasy. In in the dark fantasy world, you have this good protagonist almost who's possessed. You know what I mean? Whereas in the horror world, you, you know, you just, it's like a bad person doubled. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, I have a tendency to think like, even in, uh, even in slasher movies, I have a tendency to think that uh, the, it's more interesting. Michael Myers is more interesting when they don't have all the cult stuff, I feel like. When, when it's just, he's just a bad person who got out and did bad things, I think is more interesting than uh, somebody who's possessed by, by the thorn cult. 
Uh, and I just kind of, and that could, again, this is just me, you know, and, and what I like and what I find interesting, for, mm-hmm. you know, everybody could disagree with me. And obviously uh, you guys that read the novel are going to have a completely different take on this that, that, than I am. Cause I wasn't privy to how Jack Torrance is in the novel, except for this movie, which, uh, which uh, from what I understand is the closest. I actually ever. think that this Jack Torrance, the Steven Weber was actually more of a meaner drunk that really did beat on his son. Yeah. Well, they make that version. They made that clear in this version. Well, yeah, very clear. And they actually used the Stanley Hotel. The thing is that when the Jack in the in the book and this that the dislocation of the shoulder is an isolated incident and it never happened before that and never happened since that. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, and if you notice, that's the reason why you know the Danny in this in the miniseries and the book. Um, there's a loving. There's a loving, you know, he's looking forward to seeing his dad. He's waiting for his dad to get yeah. home. Mm-hmm. So think, because it happened once. If it happened over a period of time, trust me, he wouldn't be on the swing waiting for daddy to just come up. No. Or he'd be hiding from him going, oh, God, what kind of mood is he going to be in? Right. Um, and, the, and the alcoholism, it seemed like any during the, and then the book, the alcoholism is more pointedly towards his verbal demeanor against his wife so when he got drunk he used to just be a bit cruel with some of the things he said he wasn't very happy but when he wasn't drinking he was very kind and very he was just a mean drunk it was a good thing he was, just, he was a mean drunk that was um basically unfortunate and he wasn't in control of himself he, but when he when he was when he was drunk he was you know the perfect the perfect teacher the perfect everything and that's the way he is it's the drink that's the demon that would pr- provide this alternative personality right so, yeah. so I felt that, bad for this one more than I so than Jack Nicholson. This guy get, got a little more sympathy or empathy from me. I don't know well, why. Well, with Nicholson, yeah, go ahead. This this one, what you have, you have a Jack basically that basically because of his action, because of his alcoholism and everything like that, that basically he's lost everything and basically he's trying to provide for his family. So he takes takes his summer. So he takes his winter job in the way to sit there and like I gotta provide my family. This is gonna provide for short term, but that way I can write I can write my His play. play. Yeah. This will this will sit there and put me uh, put me as the the father figure who can support and supply for his wife sort of thing. But when it does and then basically how he gets sucked into the whole overlook situation is not through the ghost and stuff like that. It's well through the you know the activity of the ghost. But then they go he finds the book downstairs and basically he's, I'm going to write about it. And that's how he gets sucked into it. So it's not, so there's no craziness to him anyway. And as he gets sucked into it, they start to believe, Oh, you're, you're such a great writer. You're such a great person. You're such a great, this, we did this, you can do this and sort of thing like this because they're enticing him because they want, they want, they're making it seem that he's who they want. He's that's what they're choosing him. And that's what the overlook wants is him. But in all fact, they're after Danny. They're using the father's basically, once they get Danny, the they, Jack and his wife are—they—they're not even going to be ghosts. They're going to be nothing. They're going to be dead. They're not going to be part of the Overlook when they die. It's only going to be Danny's going to be part of the Overlook. It's so, his power. It's his. They, they, yeah. Apparently, was it a, a Corlin Meads acting coach said there was a lot of paranormal weirdness going on when they were doing the shooting at the Stanley, which I wouldn't doubt. Uh, <laughs> I would. You go away. <laughs> Thank you, ghost hunting. One of these days. But the thing is, is that basically it's Danny that bring that wakes the ghost up. 
It's Danny who's waking the ghost up. It's his right. shining. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have that power, you're not seeing anything. But then again, we had um, Weevils' character. He shined. So why didn't Thumbtail wake up? Like a picture book, and, he's, and he tells Danny, I see it like a picture book. And I oh, that's him, right. It's like a picture book. Off. Yeah. That's like a and movie. You okay. Yeah, you're right. It, you don't bring it to life. The more you look at it, the more you bring it to life, the more that you, the more that you think it's real, that you have the power to turn against it. Yeah, but Danny's like or Charlie anyway. This is a Danny is a prototype of the Stephen King child with superpowers. Yeah, and I like how the couple is pretty in this version. And then they had no control whatsoever. That's what we got with Stephen King. Made sure this was an attractive couple too. Oh yeah, Uh, yeah. Rebecca DuBornay looks amazing. There wasn't a guy in college that did not salivate or just dream of Rebecca DuBornay, especially in risky business. Until they still the hand that rocks the cradle and realize I still cool. love her in that movie though. I want to make love on a train. Yeah. <laughs> it was good in the remake of um, Mother's Day. I liked her in that. Not a great movie. I haven't but... seen that. I gotta see that. I haven't did the horror movie Mother's Day they remade? They remade yeah. it. Oh wow, I did. Know that. Um, it's, um uh what's his name? Uh was it Darren Bousman did him? Yeah. I didn't know they remade that. I love the old one. Oh, oh my that's god. A classic, yeah. Uh, I'll warn you ahead of time, it's a decent movie, but it's totally different. Totally different. Well, aren't they always, you know? There are segments in it. Let's think of it, you know. Oddly enough, I was actually kind of surprised that you actually picked this for Make Remake because I don't don't feel like this is so much a remake of... It's a totally different movie. movie. It's a totally different adaptation of the novel. Um... The reason why we have a make remake because basically we're looking at something that's based on one book, and then we got a director who's artistic in his own way coming out what he thinks it is, and now we have oh, we got- the, the script writer. This is my version of the movie, and basically what we got is the same. We got the same. Well, the that's name, Stephen King's "fuck you" to Kubrick, basically. It's not Stephen King's "fuck you" to Kubrick. It's Stephen King wanting a faithful adaption of his book, where by this time he's making enough money that he could demand a faithful. He could adaptation. actually do it. Yeah, and I mean, um, who's going to turn it down? The, the yeah. you know the, the the TV networks aren't going to turn it down. No, I mean he was gold back then for yeah. For I TV think Stephen series, King miniseries was... at, at this point in time were probably the biggest uh, you know made for TV events um, event movies that you can think of. So the nineties were like the miniseries event. That was like yeah. that was. Yeah. That's what reigned supreme really? was the miniseries. By, by the way, uh, the Thornburg, Roots. You know? What's up? I said the 80s as well. Roots. The Thornbirds. Oh, yeah, that's Thornburg. right. Thornbirds. Oh, North and South. Oh, my God. I loved all of them. I love the Thornbirds. That was you the thing Thornbirds, is, yeah. It's probably the best way to do a faithful adaption of your stuff because if you got a... The Striving's a thick book. It's not a small book whatsoever. No, the stand was ridiculous. That was ridiculous. That was like... I should have got paid to read that. <laughs> I, I attempted so the stand long. so many times when I was a teenager. And it's just... Well, this was enough for me, buddy. <laughs> I don't know. Stephen oh, King's so... I like the stand. It's, it's like I a, like it, but I can't comic it again. book. It's written so easy and he, Stephen King has this way of just—I love his. I love his, in I love his older you in stuff. And like I don't know. He's, he's I classic. love his older books, but I, I just can't get anything new lately. I just—I I'm. I, it's kind of just childish in a way. I don't really read his work anymore. I can't even remember the last thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I haven't read The Shining in decades. I can say I reread it every few years. 
I love that book. Maybe I'll pick it back up again. Stephen King has a Forrest Gump kind of way about his his writing. Basically, it's someone on a rocking chair, rocking in a rocking chair, and telling you a homegrown story that has horror elements into it. That's the Stephen King way of writing, sort of thing. Yeah, and that's you know, and as you notice in the miniseries, there's a lot of Stephen King Kingisms in it. I'm missing your kissing. This is very yeah. <laughs> yeah. the family the family dynamics are basically you know it's like you know. The, the family dynamics are there. There's he the does alcohol. like the stri- well, I wonder the if he writer. had daddy he issues. The writer, the, yeah. or the, the writer who's disillusioned, and, or the Did person. Did he have a bad childhood him. with his father? Because it's always stri- yeah, he had, uh, was he just not in no the father. picture? There was no father. There was no sure. father. Just he was just gone. Stephen King is the horror equivalent of Spielberg. Yeah, you're right. That's a good analogy. That'll work. If you look at every Spielberg film, it's basically the same kind of family dynamics. Poltergeist. Children. E.T. E.T. Yeah, true. Poltergeist. Um, probably the only time they, but that's not him directing it, but they're probably the only time the family's together. They have mother and father and children. And he only produced that anyway. What, Poltergeist? Yeah, Toby yeah. Hooper. Same guy with the film Yeah. Toby. I love that. Oh, Poltergeist is like right. the quintessential American movie to me, man. What, Poltergeist? <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, it's like the little kids stuck in the TV set, right? Yeah. The, the, was, the fear of the swimming pool, they run out and they're like jumping in the pool looking for that. That's like a classic That's something fear. I would do, you know. Tree falls yeah. on the house. Everyone, everyone's dealing with that all the time. The tree goes, falls through the house into the window. And then the, yeah, the whole place is built on a, in the, in a burial ground. Well, it was a burial ground. And then he had those people underneath, you know. What was that because, guy? What's his name? Julian. God is in his holy temple. Because <laughs> yeah, all of America is built on a small. I could sing that whole on the, song. On fucking on a graveyard of fucking peoples. Well, you I'm not afraid of dead people. You get a suburban setting as well. You know, basically your your neighbors yes. right right literally two next so next next door that your remote's affecting their TV and vice versa. If I'd have known and that right shit there, was going on in the eighties, yeah. I would have fucked with my neighbors so bad. I had no idea that stuff had <laughs> that with the clickers. So. Oh well, suburb. I mean, you got to remember what new, houses, new houses that were built in the seventies and eighties are shit. I mean, there's yeah. no there's no soundproofing whatsoever in these houses. No. <laughs> But they were all brand new and modern and shiny. Like they remade Poltergeist and they made it an actual gothic haunted house. Did I'm they like, remake Poltergeist? Point yeah, like, like 10 years movie. ago. The whole movie is supposed to be like this suburban perfect world, you know? How did that one get by me? Oh, you, thank you. You're lucky. It was a you're good lucky. remake. Was I didn't, I didn't watch it because I knew it was going to, I knew I wasn't going to like it. But, I uh, hate Poltergeist 3. I hate it. Well, I can't do it. Movie. I've tried. I've watched it. I saw the like Nancy Allen. Yeah, but the, the oh, smoke that the got is not what they were planning to make. She died. In the she died in it. I know that you could tell a poor little thing was sick too. But the I old, mean, the old man died as well. That didn't that, help. That's yeah. just weird. They had so many deaths around the Poltergeist movies, but yeah, and the daughter from the first one, she got <laughs> she murdered by her boyfriend. Right? Yes, exactly. Wow. While the movie while the movie is playing in the background, apparently I don't know how much of that's. In- I I think that's an embellishment. No, it's embellishment. no. Basically, it's basically, you non-believer. <laughs> I was reading Dominic Dunn, who's her right. grandfather. That's how he got into writing Vanity Fair about crime sequences because of the death of his granddaughter, Dominic Dominique Dunn, and he and his and his article on Vanity sure. Fair is basically. 
the movie was premiering on TV, uh, on like on cable TV. So basically, she was out in the garden, sort of thing. And basically, it's like everyone in the neighborhood was playing it. And they said the police and the police report were saying that while he was being, she was being strangled. The the soundtrack, they could hear the soundtrack. She could hear the soundtrack being played while she's dying because. Oh, oh my god! Are you was, serious? I think that's because how so, how is he going to? I'm gonna look, look it up, well, no, look it up just to prove what, Joe what wrong. Dominic the, the, held a party at her house. All her friends came over because they were watching Poltergeist because they're going to watch Poltergeist. Her boy, her boyfriend, who she just broke up with, showed up. Goes, can I speak to you in the back of the garden? So as the movie's starting, he's choking her to death. And that's how they're Wow, going. are you serious? Yeah, like the idea that she's hearing the soundtrack as she's being strangled. I don't know. I don't know about that. That sounds like an adult. I'm going to say it's absolutely true. The thing, the thing I'm is, not gonna like bullshit yet. What was, I mean, we're never gonna know if it's if that part's true or not. Somebody I can there. feel it in my gut. If I know it in my gut, then it's, it's true. There you go. Oh, you is know, that what George Bush used to say? From Matthew's lips to Zephyr's ears. The funny thing about it is that her friends um, went out while the while the the show while the movie was just starting and going. Dominic are coming in and he's strangling her and they were pulling, trying to pull him off and then or by that time her her windpipe was crushed. Oh my god. Whole, and they, and they, they said the back door was open. They didn't hear a scream or anything. So that could, that could be possible. I don't know how big her house is or how big her garden is or how loud the TV is, but it's quite odd. Well, it's it like the little boy's bed from Poltergeist as well, you know. Really? What happened yeah, to him? He died. He died um, that's why he didn't come back for the third one. He died before the, sec- the third one came out. He got run yeah. over by the family car. He did? Yeah, they parked, they, they, they parked the car on that hill and they put, they put it in park, but it wasn't in park and the car rolled over him or something. Man, talk about same bad thing, luck. Curse same thing movies. that happened to Anton Yelchin. Yeah, everybody goes sometime. I don't. I don't hate. I don't hate Poltergeist three either because I can't. You know, like I it's a miracle. Hate it, that, but I just can't get into it. Miracle that it's fucking awful, movie awful, got made awful. at all. And and I'm sure you know, having seen other Gary Sherman movies, um, like uh, Raw Meat and um, uh, the one we just covered recently on the podcast. Um, Oh, fuck. Uh, Dead and Buried. Dead and oh, buried. yeah, that's a great film. Having seen a lot of his other I movies, I, I think had the that's circumstances... Awesome yeah, had the circumstances not played out like this, like his <laughs> fucking cast is dead before the movie's made, <laughs> I think it probably would have been... It probably would have been a much better film. I mean, the, the fact that it got made at all is a miracle in this case, because so everything that could possibly go wrong was going wrong on that. I think that's just wild that the actor dies before the finishing of it. I, I can't think of one case where there ever been great. I mean, brainstorm with Natalie Wood, where you have to show the back of her head through most of the movie. And, you know, and there's other movies that the actors died and they try, you know, the crow. Yeah. The crow's actually, I think a really good movie despite Brandon Lee dying. Um, I, I love the crow. Um, oh, uh, plan nine from outer space. Lugosi <laughs> died. And he I had, like playing nine for outer space. No that matter was his what dentist. anybody says, his dentist with the cape up. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly. why they did it. That's right. Bella as well, isn't he? That's right. Looked like Vampire was kind of getting on too. She was. But the miniseries, The Stand, is basically a really faithful adaption of the book, sort of thing. You know, it was Pierre, You know, the, the animals and so on and so forth. So, so yeah, so I'm, 
so unlike cubic version of the stand, this is basically like we're gonna we're gonna do word for word, and this is what we got sort of thing. Yeah, I, wonder I like how- that they use the Stanley. I do. I've just you know that inspired King. So. That's actually one of the things that I that I felt made the movie weaker because I didn't I didn't feel the isolation as much with this because it's it's smaller than uh, the, the other Kubrick- movie. Than what Kubrick, uh, uh-huh. well, Kubrick was using sets, right? Um, so th- he's got that advantage. Um, Stanley's huge. Have you been? Have you been to Stanley? Yeah, but on a set, there's no roof. There's no. You can have like, you know what I'm saying? That's exactly. true. Exactly. That's true. That's true. Um, I mean, have you, have you it, been it, to the Stanley anyway? The 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 original. What? I almost did. I was um, about ten years ago. Uh, this. Uh, this woman I was hanging out with in Colorado, we went and stayed at the Oxford and I asked for the murder suicide room at the Oxford hotel. Oh, I would have done that too. And, um, I, we wanted to go to the Stanley hotel, but it was just like way too far out from where we were in Denver. Estes park put- is, is enormous. A lot of people don't realize how big Estes park yeah, is. Yeah. Stanley hotel is only 10 minutes from Estes park. It's not in the middle of nowhere. No, it's not. It's not. Yeah, you come to you got the. It's basically like an out. It's a hotel, and then basically with a five minute drive, you're in Estes Park. Well, you got like Red Feather. There's all kinds of places. There's all kinds of little towns and stuff all well, around. Yeah. I don't. But it's right next to Estes Park. I mean, it's not that far. Maybe that's you know not. What I, mean? I don't know. Beautiful there. In the middle of nowhere. Like I still think. wouldn't want to ride up that road again. I, I mean, I just that that kills it for me. You have to sedate me or get me hammered before yeah, I get on that friggin' road. Well, depends on where you're going. <laughs> depends on where you're going. Going to going to the, the Stanley Hotel because if you go through Boulder, right. You don't have- you don't have that winding road. That's where Trail Ridge Road, we picked it up going through Boulder. We went up through that way. Okay. And that's where Trail Ridge Road is, the road of death. All I know, it was the road of death. I've never forgotten that road. <laughs> never. I've never. Uh, um, there are other, there's another way through Boulder, I think. I remember why we didn't go. If it, if it, if it wasn't the distance, there was some reason, though. Because you got to go up by that big river. I can't remember the, that there's that river that you Colorado. go by. Yeah, because my daughter dropped her toys in there and just like, you're fucked. I'm not going in there and getting it. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> Beautiful country, though. God, it's so but I, I, I didn't feel like the hotel didn't feel like it was that big and that cavernous in this. And I think maybe that's also, again, in comparison to the Kubrick version. And that's why I'm thinking that way. Um, well, we've had established one thing. Kubrick is, is a brilliant at being an illusionist, you know. Definitely. Um, I think they uh, also suffer from the TV miniseries feel as well because there's that there's the film quality as well. It has that TV feel to it, like yeah, like, totally. Like, Everything's overlit. Doing Stephen King has that kind of feel to it. Yeah. You also have there's hard to get scope in a TV miniseries as well. Even with even with the stand, I mean, you're watching the stand that he did previous to that. It's not. It's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, or even it. Right. Or, and you're kind of watching them, and it does have that. Gloss, there's this glossy filming about it, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, like, mm-hmm. I know what you're saying dark, without you saying like it. Taking the pledge and like shined it sort of thing over the top of it. So, you know. I, yeah, I, like as as far as you know, it's it's effective at points, and I have you know, I like that about it. I liked, um, I, 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 a lot of people were saying that the band leader thing, you know, they, they didn't like that. I liked it, I thought it was fun. Um, that's maybe one of the that, highlights to me. Yeah, it's like I, I, 
I didn't have any issue with a lot of the stuff that people told me that like, like, like I was going to hate, like, obviously it's 1997. So the fire hose isn't, you know, isn't going to look great right. because they just didn't have the technology to do it. Then uh, the, um, uh, the, the, the plants coming alive, the lions that, that wasn't going to look great because again, oh, it was 1997, was, yeah. you know, um, I was living well, in a van when it came out. And I really went out of my way to try to watch them. It was like kind of a big deal. I also think it's very, very rare that a novelist writes a screenplay based on their stuff and it's very successful. I can only name a couple things John Irving with Cider House Rules. Um, John Lindquist. Not the right one in. That's about it, really. I mean, it's very rare that. Because uh, I think. William- Blatty did the uh, screenplay to The Exorcist, didn't he? Oh, yeah, he did. William Peter Blatty did do the screenplay to The Exorcist. Yeah. And then the the book. But did you guys ever read the book? Yeah. It's a detective. It's a it's a police procedural more than a. Which is why Exorcist Three is the way it is. Yes. He's not very good at writing screenplays. Name me a good screenplay that he's done. Stephen King. Is that what uh, you're saying? Yeah, he doesn't write very good screenplays. That's, that, that, and that was something I was going to say, is how much control do you guys think Mick Garris actually had on this? We don't, he's got his horror stuff and he's got his fantasy shit. I think his fantasy shit is just too crazy to even be transferred in the film. But like Cujo, horror, pretty simple. Right. Met Cemetery, horror, pretty yeah. simple. You know, like it's it, Carrie, horror. It's real simple, you know? Yes. I, I like my stuff grounded in some kind of reality sometimes. Like when, when you start going cosmic with a lot of the stuff, I'm like, eh, you kind of lose me a little with it. And this is totally a, a, a preference thing. Like even, the color of space. I'm the same way, man. <laughs> I'm the same way. I, I, I've no, I, I, you know, color of space was carried by Nicolas Cage going back. <laughs> color of space know, is awesome. Matthew, you love Nicolas Cage, don't you? That's, <laughs> that's what that is, man. That's, that's Nicolas Cage just fucking going absolutely batshit crazy and i love that about it um, I mean, is if i mention these screenplays to you you'll find out how the miniseries works into them they have all the creep show you wrote the screenplay for that cat's really? eye silver bullet maximum over well at least maximum overdrive thing. he directed uh, maximum overdrive too didn't he yeah he yeah. did pet cemetery golden that- years sleepwalkers the stand tv series michael Jackson, Ghost of the Shining, Storm of the Century, Rose Red, Kingdom Hospital, Desperation, Heads Will Roll, A Good Marriage. I forgot the about cell, Storm of the Century. Busy Story and the Circle Closes. But uh, Sleepwalkers, by the way, is fantastic. <laughs> I concur. A- I loved it. I, agree. I like the film as well, but it does, it does suffer. It's a fun film, but it does suffer from the Stephen King-ism. Monotony? Well, it's just a Stephen King movie. It's it's a perfect. It's a Stephen King movie. Yeah, that, that, that's a whole yeah, genre in itself, itself, isn't it? I, I, I like to see that as a Mick Garris movie, though, because I, I think yeah. I, I think like Keith said, maybe the the screenplay isn't isn't the strongest, but holy shit, what a, what a fantastic movie it is! Just because Mick Garris just goes balls to the walls on that, and it's just awesome. I mean, I, I like Sleepwalkers, but if you look if you look into the script, Stephen oh, yeah. King. Stephen King has Stephen King isms. There, it's mm-hmm. Slim Waltman writes horror. That's how I think of Stephen King. Slim Waltman writes horror. 
all American, all about it. Uh, and it's it's a 1940s, 1950s America seen through an AIDS lens. That's the yeah, game. That's, yep. that's basically it, yeah. yeah. You know, and, you know, I mean, the miniseries, I mean, what I find interesting about the miniseries is that it's good to have, if you don't want to read the book and you can't be asked to read the book, you just lost the miniseries. <laughs> Everything there is it if you that watch the film film and you don't care much about the book, you get the cubic the shining. <laughs> yeah, is is it that uh, is it that uh, that perfect to the novel? It's word for word. Wow, and you know, a lot, a lot, it takes a long time for I love the book, The Shining, I think it's fantastic. It's one of the, you know, I mean. Stephen King's top books for me are Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining. You know, they're like the top. And then and then they kind of go mix. They kind of mix yeah. that. Apart. The Stand, I mean, the thing is, the Salem's Lot, The Shining, and Carrie have good endings. Yeah. Not perfect endings, but they had great endings for Stephen King. After that, once he does The Stand, The Stand's great for the first half of it. Once they get the boulder, it goes to shit. You know what I mean? It's I'm a like, big Pet Cemetery fan. I, I, that's a big one. I'll really like. Oh, yeah, did he... well, and that's why I say that after after this, you know, then we had hit, we had hit Miss Stephen King. Yeah, Pet right. Cemetery is a good book. Tommy Knockers is. I don't know what the hell he's thinking about that. I liked it. I don't. I'm the, like the only person I know. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I still can't. I still it's H.P. Lovecraft's influence. I still try. I keep a little trying. bit. The Pet Cemetery that he wrote the screenplay to, is it the uh, 80s version? Yeah, he didn't do the new one. The new one's all different. Did you see the right. new version? Yeah. I haven't seen the it's, I loved it. I thought it was great, but he makes the, the older girl become the zombie instead of the yeah. little kid. The one yeah. thing that struck terror in my heart was Little Gabe. I want to play with you, Daddy. <laughs> Just like, oh, uh, I mean, I literally vaulted off the floor to jump in my bed that night because it freaked me out. That, like, in Trilogy of Terror, that little guy was going, blah, 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 you know? <laughs> By the way, the band, uh, the band in, uh, in the, this version of The Shining, uh, there's a GC everywhere. Apparently, that's supposed to stand for Gage Creed. Apparently, Stephen oh. King... Stephen King, I, I saw a credit. I don't remember where it was. Is credited as Gage Creed in The Shining. I did not notice that. So interesting. Uh, well, they, they make no reference to it in the movie. Um, but somewhere in, in a credit I read somewhere, it said Stephen King is Gage Creed, and I didn't know what it was until I saw him as the band leader. And I saw GC on the drums, like, oh, J- Gage Creed is the band leader. That's a nice little touch. <laughs> oh, and I didn't catch that. Oh, That's a good catch. Hamming it up like he does whenever he gets a cameo. <laughs> yeah. What's oh. that? I'm fine with that. And he's great in the, in the Pet Cemetery yeah, movie when he's a preacher. Like... He's I, I I always I I always like like his cameos because he's always over the top, and I think it's I like I his think cameos. Uncle Steve, he's like part of my life of our lives. It takes me out of you. Like Quentin Tarantino, or it's like why are you putting, stop putting your stuff and stuff. Or M Night, M Night does the same thing. Stop, stop putting yourself in your movies. I'm enjoying it now. It's you. It's like stop it. You know what I mean. <laughs> You're not allowed for Hitchcock. I just watched old recently. That's well, Hitchcock is in it for like a brief second. Yeah, you got to look thing. for him sometime. It's, it's like, where's Waldo? Yeah. It'll be the somebody. newspaper <laughs> ad and stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. Fuck, what was I going to say a second ago? Um, but yeah, I, I, I like I like King when he's uh, when he's over the top. Oh, his cameo in uh, It Chapter 2 is the only good thing about that movie. Yeah. <laughs> he was great in that. 
As, yeah, uh, you mean as, you mean the the newer one? The newer yeah. one. The newer one. The first uh, half of the newer one. It chapter one. I think is really really good. The fucking sequel is. Oh god, I. It's one of the I, worst. I, I agree. I agree. The, that's just the Chinese restaurant the was a little crazy. Stephen King, great beginning, great middles. I want you to get past the middle of a Stephen King book. Well, they did. He didn't put the orgy in, man. Yeah. He didn't put the orgy in it. <laughs> the orgy's never going to be seen. We, it's never going to happen. But that's, in, that's, that's in the first part, anyway. That's not in the second part. That's in the first part, right? Uh, I mean, but he, like, yeah, he, he shows up and talks about how much Stephen King's, uh, how much, uh, um, how much the endings of this writer's book suck. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at look at. He's it's probably going to listen to this one podcast too. Well, look at. Well, I don't. I mean, I'll, I'll, I mean, if he if he ever came on here, I'll be honest with him. I mean, fine. If he asked me for my opinion, I'm gonna be honest. But I mean, that's my that's my. I mean, that's what he. That's what it is. It. If you read it, if you watch the original miniseries, what's the best thing about it? When the when first, you the first half. Yeah, the first half. Georgie you know, getting killed. Georgie, yeah. Uh, I think he's a better short story writer than he Some is. Some people another. are good. I short love story his short writers. stories, and yeah. I, I that's actually what I really. And when he when he releases a book of new short stories, I do that's that's what I read. I'll go and I'll read his new short stories. And um, you can tell when Stephen King's in trouble with his ending because the book becomes overlong. I wonder. He, you think it's because of the cancer. length of it? That's why he just he's starting to like. Oh, oh, I, I got to end this. He I says you should it. never know your ending. He's like he's he's like anyone who knows how they're going to end this, a book is an is a fool. As a quote from his. Creative writing book. Okay, do you know, do you know how writing. John Irving writes his books? Well, he writes the end in the beginning and then goes like that. That's how John Irving writes. I think you know. I think it works for him. I'm not sure everything, but sometimes I think that sometimes I think some people can work that way through. I don't think I don't think there's any. I don't think there's a right way of writing. I think no. what what works work. Um, I think what Stephen King is that he has great ideas, but what happens is is that. He has these strings, and then the strings get knotted towards the middle, which they become very exciting. And then he has to try to unknot these. And that, and then what happens is, is that while he's trying to unknot these, he's tying himself into bigger knots. It's a bit like undoing Christmas lights that have struggled off. If you're not, if you pull it the wrong way, basically they just become tighter, and you're just making more of a mess. Right. Excellent and analogy. Perfect. And that's what I find with some of Stephen King's books. I mean, some. I mean. Carrie, I love the ending of Carrie. I think Carrie is a fantastic book. I mean, it's probably one of the first docu documentary fiction yeah. books out there for its right. time period. Right. The Fatal's Lot is fantastic, but it would have been better if they didn't have the tag on the ending where, where they're, they're, these vampires have found them in Mexico of all places. Like, okay, yeah. what? <laughs> the sun all the time? I mean, what's that about? Um, but but it's great until you get to that point when they when they left in Salem's Lot. That burning. was kind of abrupt. They were ended up in Mexico killing vampires. But then I started thinking, what was that movie, Tarantino's movie? Was it... um? Dawn, yeah, that's what it make, makes me feel like they picked up at <laughs> when yeah. I watched that movie. The same thing right. with the book The Shining. The Shining is an excellent book. And then we get the tack on ending where they're in Florida living with Dick Hollerin and they're at the pool. That's how they're right. fishing. And you're like, what's this? They could just basically just got in a snowcat and driven off and yeah. leave it. That's what he could have done. That would have been like that. That was like an epilogue, you know? Yeah. At least it. Some kind of closure. Yeah, it's some kind of closure, but, but it like kind of makes you wonder why Dick Holleran's supporting Wendy and Danny and her son at the local pool. Like some of the his later books that I read would be like Desperation 
and Cell, about the cell phones. And both of those, I, I enjoyed reading them, but they, they should have been short stories. It's well, like there's a cool idea, like you're saying, and then he just goes on and on and I on. Love it turns into good versus evil. and It's just ridiculous. Well, and, and explaining what the fucking tack is. So, it's like, I yeah. love the desperation. Right, I love right. it. It's fantastic. And now he goes, now time to tell you what's going on, what this is. And it's like, oh, no. Totally. And then, and then, and then the way they get out of it, it's just like, what are you, oh, Stephen? Just shut up, just stop, let them all die. What are you doing? Yes, <laughs> stop. You know? Right. It's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like his, you know, Wizard and Glass series. I forgot what that's called. You know, yeah, I never read those. Like, I know what you're talking about, Wizard and something. Uh, the Drawing of the Three and all the other stuff, and it just goes on and on. Um, and that's I was never of, into the Gunslinger that much. It's too fantasy yeah, for me. Yeah. I read like, the mean, first two or three. I liked it. I but love I mean, the ending of Needful Things. I mean, the, the movie's a shit version because it's, it's a watered-down version of it. But I love the way that right. he just threw the whole town of um, Castle Rock, and that was it for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was great. And, you know, and you know, when, especially when you got Nettie out there with her meat cleavers and the other old lady, and they're fighting over the laundry, and they're just meat cleavering each other to death. And it's like, you know, you're sitting there. And then, and then the ending was a good ending. So he does do it occasionally, but in mm-hmm. short sure stories, he doesn't write himself into that corner. Children of the Corn, he doesn't write himself into that corner. Right. Survivor types, probably one of my favorite. You know that one? Yeah. The heroin dealer ends up eating himself. <laughs> Even the Longoliers. I never know? read that oh, one. Oh, yeah, that one. Oh, wait, okay. I did read that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the miniseries try to tack on some kind of weird ending where they're trying to get out, but they don't get out in the original short story or right. all that sort of stuff. And then, and I have to say that he does do better when he's writing about when it's not that what does not have a supernatural tendency to it. Misery doesn't have that. Dolores Claiborne doesn't really have that. And those I books, love both of those. I liked Thinner though. Thinner was one of my favorites. Wasn't very well. Long, I think but... he does okay nowadays because now he's writing murder mysteries. That's what he does. Right. Now. I like I it when he's more nihilistic. That's when he seems to be really on it. You know what I mean? Like in Pet Cemetery or something, or even in The Shining, because the father dies. Even you know what I mean. It's just, I love the more the, well, when he gets darker, did. and I think he like tries to pull back. I think he yeah. wants to go dark, and now he's got this image: his Uncle Steve, Grandpa, and he's got to be more dark fantasy. Leave it up he's to his son, win, and it, and he just starts meandering. And yeah, you also got to remember that Stephen King in the eighties, up until he got hit by that car in nineteen ninety six. He was an alcoholic. He doesn't remember writing anything. He was coming that out just blows years. my mind that know. somebody can write this is, this is, a freaking this novel this thick and not have any recollection of doing it. I mean, I what kind of brain? I know that. that okay, I know that, dude. I don't think get about it. it. Think about how much you talk on doing that stuff, man. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. And what we have here with The Shining is Stephen King. One of the last books he remembers writing, writing his own adaption to it. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. You know? But, but yeah, I mean, the signing, I mean, I do have to, I mean, you know, for being word for word, I, I, I like the miniseries because it's word for word because it's quite nice to have a testament to the book for that, for that, you know, for like prosperity's sake. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I have to sit there and sending, I don't, he changed the ending of the book for this. You know, we got the graduation sequence now. We're basically. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's so lame. That basically his future self was is Tony. his imaginary friend to warn him. And then he grows into his future self 
and then he gets to see his father like happy ending sort of thing and go oh, there. And then he turns into Dr. Sleep and he has a purpose in life. And see, and they raise my book, The Shining, the father figure anyway, and the shining figure after after everything that goes on, they have that heart for a moment and the, the boiler's going to blow and the basically it's all stop. It Basically the whole thing yeah. settles on that basically keep keep Jack busy because we don't need Jack to know that the boiler is going to blow up. So keep him busy. That way we can escape. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's what the book centers right. on. And so basically get that loving sequence. So when they go off, Danny knows that his father loves him and that, that basically was the overlook that did this to his father. So you don't really need that tacked on thing that Stephen King put on at the end of his own miniseries. Yes, but this is the, right. a, this is the, the age of Jane Seymour and the miniseries. Okay, we were a different mindset back then, you know. Uh, if you watch, I'm sorry, but if you watch Hollywood Wives, if you watch North and South, you watch Scruples, you watch The Thornbirds and stuff like this, you don't get small teeth tacked on endings. That's a Stephen yeah. King. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We got we got the same thing in Stephen King's The Stand. We got this this homecoming at the end of The Stand that was not even in the book. Basically, I know, the what book, the fuck was that last episode about? I, no, I mean, I'm not talking about the new stand. I'm talking about the original miniseries. Oh, okay. Well, I like the original. I, I just, I didn't understand the last episode, the new one. Like they're like they're part of a bread commercial in Midwest America. That's what happens. At, and that's not what happens in the book. At the end of the book, Boulder, I mean, uh, Las Vegas blows up and they're walking home. And that's yeah. where the book ends. But we got another Stephen Take King. Take us home, movie. mother. <laughs> Who's that? Cicely Tyson played um, Mother Abigail. Well, I mean, that's the stand is a great book, I and mean, it's like the first part of the stand is fantastic. The yeah. second part of the series, you're like, oh, no, <laughs> yeah. Lo- there we go. Good versus evil. Okay, it's the prototype for everything he did afterwards. You're right. You're you're right, Matthew. It is. Uh, he's still complaining about The Shining. Did you see it in the? It's been a few years now, but he wrote that book, The Outsider. Yeah. And there's, and there's a line in there where they're like, oh, it's a Stanley Kubrick movie's coming on. Oh, no, it's The Shining. This is stupid. And they turn the channel. And you're like, really, dude? After all <laughs> he years, is mad. You're he was still mad. bitching about it. 40 years later. Yeah. Oh. And yeah, it I made him it. so much money and got him so much publicity. Any good, know, right? you know, good or bad is publicity, you know? I, I would, I mean, I, if Stephen King's still going on about Kubik's version of Shining, I mean, I think all, if Stanley Kubik was all alive, he just had to say two words to Stephen King, maximum overdrive. <laughs> I like that one. I know a that's lot of people King. hate it. I that's loved it. Writing his own screenplay and filming his own work. I know, but I really yes. liked that movie. I didn't read the book, but I liked the movie. The short story's better. Just a little short oh, well, story. Well, the books are always better. The short stories, for the most part, are always better. But you I can't mean, adapt everything to the screen. Least, I'm just in there saying that Stephen King had a, had a, had, I'm sorry, but you can't cut him some slack here. He had the time, the space, the money, the situation, and things thrown at him where he could put his money where his mouth did, and he wasn't able to do it. Okay, point taken. But, but, to be clear, we're talking about maximum overdrive. I could have done a better job. So fine. Here's the money. Here's your. You do whatever you want. You make your movie, and we're going to give you ten million dollars to make a film. 
And we're going to show it across all the multiplexes of America. So he picks out Maximum Overdrive, which is a six, which is a six-page film, turns this into a movie. And the best thing is, it is Lisa Simpson crying at the back of the station wagon. At one point. <laughs> I liked it. I like the big, bad, mean clown truck, okay? (laughs) But do you like it because it's a good movie, or do you like it because it's such a train wreck that you can't take your eyes off? It might be either or. Because, you know, there's just some movies, I mean, like rainy day movies, like you'll put on. Like, if you see Christopher Lee, who's fantastic, you put certain (laughs) movies on, it's like, fuck it, I'll watch it, there's nothing else on. But, I mean, it's awful, but it's doable, well, you it's entertaining. Me and the going, what the fuck am I doing? I haven't done anything this bad since I stuck since I was in that movie with my girlfriend with Demi Moore called Wisdom. So that's like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm making some bad decisions here just for the money. I need to change how I'm doing my work. <laughs> I've gone from amazed. To this. <laughs> yeah, I'm amazed. Maximum Overdrive didn't completely derail his career because he had, he had a uh, he had quite a few hits after that. Well, he had he had wisdom. I think that kind of went, and then after that, he kind of pulled it back up, didn't he? With Young Guns and things like that, didn't he? So, Young Guns, uh, the Mighty Ducks. Yeah, he ended up having a pretty decent career. Now he's directing. Yeah, he Repo did Man's one of the greatest movies ever Kennedy, made. Really Repo Man's fantastic. Which movie? Repo Man. Repo Man. I love it. And then he directed, he directed that one where he did the assassination of Robert Kennedy. The, the Robert Kennedy movie is very good. That was good. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Did a good job of that. See, I can watch other things other than horror. I watch other. Let's face it. If Charlie <laughs> sees the brother, you can always outshine him. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite easy to overtake your brother when you when your brother's Charlie Sheen. <laughs> and for for the family fuck up, he's a pretty successful family fuck up too. Yeah. So there's that. Right. I always find it weird that. Emilio looks like his dad. Charlie looks like they're like his dad. Those two brothers do not look like each other. Isn't that weird? Isn't that <laughs> they weird? Look like yeah. dad, but they don't look like each other. Charlie and Emilio. Yeah. Emilio looks a lot like Joe Estevez too. That's the other thing that always yeah. struck. Like yeah. I would, I would have thought Joe. Like, like I think he looks more like Joe Estevez than he looks like Martin Sheen. Yeah. I have to sit there and say that I like to know what happened between. Rob Rob Lowe was like a son to Martin Sheen, and something happened during the West Wing, and like you're no longer my son, sort of thing. Moment came up. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why Rob Lowe left um, the West Wing. Got fired because of something happened between him and Martin Sheen. Something that was really bad. No, huh. if you know, if you don't turn Charlie away, and Charlie's really bad, what the hell did Rob? Do? <laughs> <laughs> did Rob Lowe also have a lot of drug problems? Rob Lowe, yeah, he got in trouble a little bit back in the day. Oh, well, yeah. he, had, he, had the, he had the teenage girl yeah. problem. Um, yeah. Sort of. that was got caught in a hotel. That was the late 80s, though. Yeah. But he, he's had trouble on TV series. He had trouble on Brothers and Sisters as well, didn't he? And, um, he had trouble on... He was just Mark always too pretty. Was on. I was going to so say know, the Rob. I know, but maybe, that, maybe that's being a long-term TV series. Maybe he's only good for like a year or two. And he gets bored. Maybe. I liked him in the in the stand though. I thought he made. I liked him better than the other guy in the new stand. I like. Are there any stories about him being like a dicker? A painting of Rob Lowe somewhere. There's got to be a painting somewhere because he looks fucking good for his age. He's sixty something now, and he was fucking. Well, oh God, no kidding. He is. He's always been pretty though. He's just always been just beautiful. And then you look at being. brother. What happened there? Obviously, I don't know. He disappeared. <laughs> 
<laughs> he disappeared. Uh, no, you see pictures of Chad. Trust me, Chad's not. Chad doesn't age as well as Rob does. So, Poor did Edward Furlong lately? Who? Oh, Edward Furlong. Not looking good. In a in the eighties, you had Johnny Depp like cracking egg, and this is your brain on drugs. Yeah, <laughs> you don't need to do that. But Edward did like this is Edward. <laughs> <laughs> right. I yeah, remember you on drugs and just have a picture of Edward Furlow. A couple of years ago, I had actually asked a filmmaker friend of mine to put me in touch with Edward Furlong for one of my projects. And uh, the response was, Joe, I love you, but I'm not going to do that for your sake because he's just going to beat you for the money and not show up. And that's basically what I, what, what he, what I was told. Huh? I don't know. He 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 talked me out of out of uh, out of approaching Edward Furlong because because he was like you're you're just gonna pay him he's gonna blow all the money he's gonna get fucked up and he's not gonna show up. You're better off with Macaulay Culkin because at least he knows when to stop taking the drugs. <laughs> Macaulay Culkin has actually done a hell of a job uh, resurrecting himself. Uh, that's what I've life. that's what I've seen a little bit of here and there. That's how he's getting his thing back. So. <laughs> Um, so the Shining, the mini series. Um, I guess we probably should give our final thoughts because I think that we're. What's your What are your thoughts about it, Matthew? It, I agree with pretty much everything Joe said. That it's fine. It's a good. It's a testament. It's there. It's a uh, yeah. It is what it is. It's definitely not this life altering. No, it's not life altering. Kubrick's film is, but uh, it is what it is. It's fun. I mean, you know, I, I enjoyed it when it came out. Mm-hmm. Like like Keith said, it's if you look at it on its own, it's absolutely a good little movie. It's it's a it's a good movie. When you compare it to Kubrick, okay, yeah, it's gonna pale in comparison. So yeah, he will. But as part of like something like if you were to. Uh, like, like as part of a tr- like like I treat it now as like okay you know what it's it's going to be a trilogy after watching it this week after finally seeing it like it's a trilogy now it's I'm go it's going to be to me the Kubrick Shining the Garris Shining and Doctor Sleep as like a whole work together because it made Doctor Sleep make more sense which uh, that's a fantastic movie also. I love um, Doctor Sleep. So, so I kind of really? see it. I kind of see it as that. I'm like, you know what? It's it's the middle ground that that that, that ties up the loose ends. Yeah, uh, that, a little that, bit uh, from anyway. Doctor Sleep. That uh, it makes some things more more clear there. Um, Doctor Sleep. As, my hands go off the mic Flanagan because that that was a hell of a job to do because the book is a sequel to the book The Shining. Yeah, and I didn't yeah. like the book uh, Doctor Sleep. I was really it, disappointed with the book. It, I was like, it, what it the, what is this it. not business? I want, because I'm a Shining fanatic. I'm a Shining freak. And I was like, dude, you wrote a sequel to The Shining? You know what I mean? I was like on it. I, I got, I read that immediately. And I was just like, oh, man. I'm with you. I'm with you about the book about that. I, it, it meandered around. I didn't know what the hell was going on half the time. And I didn't care. Yeah. And Danny didn't make much <laughs> sense. The Danny character doesn't make sense. No. Because it's a little, it's a little awkward here and there. Well, he doesn't I give love a shit the movie. About his mother, I thought the movie was awesome. He doesn't give a shit about his mother. He doesn't. He doesn't give a fuck about her. He's got this. She's dead. She's got. She died of cancer. Who gives a fuck about her? Right. That's the way he is. That's what you're reading. And you're like, yeah. 
Okay, this is not the this is not the Danny that loved his mom and his mom. Well, that's him. true. Yeah, that is um, true. His his hatred to Holleran is in the book. There's this negativity and this weird thing about Holleran. His thoughts about Holleran, who saved his saved him and his mom's life in the book, and that's kind of weird. And then he and then he's an asshole. He just uses people all the time, and it's just like it is. It's, yeah. a, it's a really nasty... Dr. Sleep, the book, is a really nasty book. It's a really negative, nasty kind of book. I guess uh, it'd and be... So, and you're spending your time with... Somebody you love. All your time with Danny. Yes. And you're spending a little time with the villains, and the villains are a lot nicer and a lot more interesting than Danny is. The villains are nicer than Danny is in the book. <laughs> it's just like... So I and he's Danny. You. you love him because you're a shining person. You've been watching this shit for fucking 40 years. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you should do, but the book is like, Danny's a horrible fucking person. He, he's kind of a terrible person in the beginning of the movie, too, because you get that scene with the, yeah. uh, with, uh, the woman he takes home and he, he takes her money. And, yeah. Right. Well, she, he was, yeah right. she was on drugs and she. But yeah, that was that was bad. That was ugly. I that mean, really... it's one of the like it's one of the most disturbing things I, I've seen is when it she is an shows ugly up. Scene. When she, she shows up, yeah. yeah, she's like, they still haven't found us. That's dark. I know he left him there to die. She t- yeah. takes the baby's yeah. money too that she's probably going to feed the child with. So they both end up dying in a horrible way. It's you know? awesome, yeah. but why do you have to make it Danny? I know. Something else. I know. Another I know. book. It's great. Yeah. It's good but, stuff. But you know, but... maybe I mean, in 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 hindsight or retrospect, maybe the this shine that he has just drove him a little crazy. I think that's know? part yeah. of it. I think we're. Yeah. I think what we're seeing in that portrayal is a kid who's super traumatized and didn't know how to deal with. It. Well, that's, that's what we get fucked up. Shit, man! Can you imagine your father chasing you around like that with an axe and you know and yeah. just, that's gonna fuck the kid up? <laughs> yeah, but I'm gonna leave a mark. <laughs> what you gotta what you gotta think of here is that Mike Flanagan's making the movie of the book The Shining. I mean the, the Doctor Sleep. So basically what you're seeing as far as when they're not going back to the overlook, what you're seeing is the book. So right. take out the overlook sequences out of it where he had to put in sports is because the movie audiences are not very bright. They're not gonna remember something forty years ago. They right. need to be remembered because this is for the masses. So all that stuff that you're seeing in the shining that he's interputting there. That's not in the book. Right. Yeah. You put that, the movie audiences will sit there and think Cubic Shining. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have any back. When you're reading Dr. Sleep, the book, all you have, you don't have this backstory of Danny being traumatized. You just got Danny being an asshole. Do you in the book? Dr. Sleep. I don't remember any. Well, he's an alky addict himself, you know? I mean. Yeah, but I'm sitting there saying it, it's, it's kind of a weird thing because when you're reading Dr. Sleep, first of all, there, it, very, it mentions very little about the overlook. It does mention a bit, but as far as it, it depends on your memory of the Shining, the book sort of thing. So I had to go back and reread the Shining, the book because after writing Doctor Sleep, it's like there's a lot of. It's been a while. So right. then when I re- then I re- reread the Shining, and then still looked at Danny, it still didn't give me. Well, I mean, this re- it doesn't. It shouldn't. Have been, uh, it shouldn't have been done. <laughs> so just, I would rather had. The, the, what happened in Salem's Lot? I'd rather have a sequel to that because those vampires are still running around around that area. Well, there's that little that. tiny sequel, the the uh, Jerusalem's Lot. The Jerusalem's Lot is called One for the Road. Yeah, I, I read that sort of thing, and then you had like um, the person's car stuck, and they the yes, 
Yeah. The little girl vampire. But when you're reading needful things and when you're reading even this, even as even mentioned the standing, when you're reading Stephen King's books and they're all set in Castle Rock, there is this ghost town called Jerusalem Lot that you don't go near because weird things are happening there. And this is after the book Salem's Lot. So all these people in these neighboring towns know about that, but they, they stay away from there and don't go there at night. So right. that means those vampires are still work. They're still operating in this town. You know, yeah. When they left, this town's still going. They just don't go there. And so you could actually, so I'm just saying, if you're Stephen King, I'm gonna, I want to write a sequel to one of my classics. That would have been a bet that could, you could have had revisit that. What Salem, what's happening in Salem's lot now? Here we are 40 years later. Yeah, years. I would be, I, I'd read it. I would. I mean, better than the, better than Danny Torrance being an asshole and basically abusing everyone he comes across. <laughs> yeah, and then throwing that whole the the not thing in there and all, which I mean Flanagan handled it pretty well. He did it, he did it actually like the way he did it. I liked it better than the way it was done in the book because I just think that I was just like, what are you doing? I wanted I wanted The Shining, you know. The, mo- yeah. the movie the, the movie is a better the movie is better than the book. Doctor it is in and this it, instance. And in um in the end, I like the the only the stuff that I like the least about the movie. The stuff that I, I would probably venture to say I don't like about the movie is when they get to the Overlook, because it just feels tacked on. Mm. It was literally, it literally, it literally was. Yeah. It literally was. I loved yeah. it because I I want to be in the Overlook. I want to hear that music. That music, man, that just goes through your head. I watched The Shining, the, 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 the original, twice now. Again. The other thing I dislike and about the, about the movie version of Doctor Sleep is, um, I th- I think they showed too much of Jack Torrance because I'm like, even if it was only like two three minutes, I'm like you can't see his face. You need to not see his face because all I kept thinking that entire sequence was this is not Jack Nicholson, right? Well, I mean, it really does drill into your brain. Shining Jack Nicholson. I mean, you just can't think of one without the other. You can't. Look well, I mean, another thing is you got to remember, Doctor Sleep. This is what you have. Another problem is, is that they go to the Overlook. The Overlook burned down in the book. Right, it burned down. There, there is no Overlook. Yeah, there is no Overlook. So when, so yeah. so when, Dan, when Danny in Doctor Sleep, when Danny goes there, they're going to an empty lot. That's what they're going to is an empty lot. The Overlook's yeah. not there. That's what happens in the book. But of course, in the movie, but, the book, the, the you know, the original movie, Stan Kubrick, Overlook stays there it doesn't get burned down because he freezes to death so that's, and that's why, the version that's why that's the- did like a really good job there by trying to mesh these two totally different things together into it was yeah brutal. exactly but exactly. It, was, it was a nostalgia fest too you gotta you gotta admit you know especially for like a lot of us you know it's just like but i think but i think that nostalgia stuff was the weakest stuff in it because i think like everything else it wasn't for nostalgia i would have hated it yeah <laughs> that I, I wouldn't have liked it as much. It was for me. It was like the music, the the the, the angles, the shots. The right. I was, it was a nostalgia thing because it's I silly found, in a way. If you really, I, I, I think I you know, like when they rebooted Star Wars with the Force Awakens or whatever and stuff, and you're like, was oh, it the it was same? Fun. Was it? But it's if you really think about it, it's kind of shitty. You know what I mean? But man, it was a nostalgia. It was Star Wars, man. Yeah. So I mean, it, it was also the first movie again. It didn't <laughs> suck. <laughs> It was the, you know what I mean? It doesn't suck. This is great. <laughs> I actually was going to say, though, I did watch Cubic The Shining, and then I watched Doctor Sleep right afterwards. I thought, okay, well, I'm going to watch Doctor Sleep because I, I, I need to take a day before I go back into the miniseries sort of thing. And the, re- the recreation sort of thing, 
it's kind of, it do, they don't work side by side, I found out, because even the coloring of the rug, when Cubic's coloring of the rug, and then you see the coloring of Dr. Sleep, and, and especially like, and the noise palette as well, it's like, <laughs> yes, it's even all in a different place, and it actually sets the whole thing weirdly. It's kind of bizarre, because yeah, if I didn't watch them closely together, I probably wouldn't have noticed. But watching closely together, I realized that Stanley Kubik was very, very monitored and metered about how everything did. And when they tried to recreate that, they didn't have the same meterness or the same, you know, the corridor changings or that sort of thing. I I, I did the opposite as you. I I watched Kubrick, then I watched the miniseries, then I watched Dr. Sleep, and I felt like watching the miniseries in between tied everything together better. Yeah, Yeah, and I think that's Flanagan, because that's Stephen King. You know, it's basically basing a movie based on the book that's kind of, then you have to throw the Kubrick from it. It really has no really relation. It's also trying to appeal to a new audience, too, though. I think think it'd be interesting to do Dr. Sleep based on the Kubrick film and just keep it that way and see how that works out. And then I'd watch it. Dr. Sleep to go along with the miniseries and see how they all click together. Sort of thing. Maybe you'll do a TV show of a, doc- a remake of the Doctor Sleep that goes with the show. Well, they are doing a. T- there's a new mini series of what The Shining coming out this year, next year, isn't there? That's 2024. I wish they had made films a lot of mini series. Like I'm like, how can you make this movie about this entire town in a, in a two hour movie or even a three hour movie? It's well, just- like Dairy. <laughs> What's well, not dairy? It sounds odd. That was yeah. That that kind of suffered a little bit though. That didn't actually live up to expectations, did it? Is it out? Uh, um, uh, Castle Rock. Castle Rock. Oh, Castle Rock. Oh, oh you yeah, about all right. Rock. Okay, sorry. I was, thought, I was thinking about Castle no, Rock. No, the sounds lots coming out. It has. It's not out yet, but it's it's all finished. It's all ready to go. I saw that. So it's they actually did a remake studio. of Salem's Lot. Another it's another finished. Salem's Lot. Yes. I don't watch it because I just I'm a diehard Salem's Lot whore. I love it. Me too. (laughs) There's just no way I wouldn't watch it. There's a lot that goes on in Salem's Lot. It better be good. I'll burn down the fucking theater if it's not good. Yeah, I'll burn it down here in Texas. (laughs) Burn it down up there. A movie or a miniseries of Salem's Lot that's coming out? Probably on an FBI list now. Is the Salem's Lot a miniseries or no? It's not. It's a a movie. Yeah, okay. that's what I'm saying. I wish they had made it a miniseries because I don't know how they're going to pack all that in. Exactly. I Probably really without Andy without out. Andy Muschietti it route by maybe already knowing you're going to do the next or or like um or like the new version like of an Dune it where, like parts yeah right. or or Dune like Dune yeah. now is doing it also where the, the man the I was all Dune. excited about Dune and I personally liked it but man it's getting hammered on bad it is, uh, oh, everyone loved it they've done the first third of the book but nothing happens until the second third of the book yeah so exactly you just, gotta, if you, you just got a movie of build up yeah. but you know people are they're impatient it's fine yeah it's I like I mean I, I like it and I thought it was beautiful and stuff like this right. um but at the same time, it's a movie full of buildup. It's like, you know, it's like you know, huh. someone zacking you off, but you never have the cum shot. It's kind of like this build, this kind of buildup, and then they stop. You know, they're just teasing you. <laughs> what do you, you mean, finish? That's why I wrote a review of it, and that's exactly what I said. I was like, the worst part of this movie is knowing that you have to wait years to see part two. You know, yeah. years. Like, yeah, like, yeah, that's a pisser. It's a pisser. Yeah. 
you know, I think you can say the same thing as like um, when they did, um, you know, the last Harry Potter film and they divided it in two parts or Return um, the last Lord of the Rings where they divided it in two parts. It's like, and then when the second part comes, because it's been like a year, you watch the second part and it's like, I can not know what the hell's going on. All I see is one of the Yeah. yeah. There's no buildup and you're kind of just walking in the middle of a floor. It's like, okay, I'm lost and it takes you and then you just feel so... I mean, I like the idea of break. I mean, it works out fine because the thing is, it is in two parts anyway. The children's part, the adult part. It's, adult a, it's part. a book in two parts anyway. Right. Um, the stand is a book in two parts, so you could do this whole build up and do the whole first yeah. part. Of, they could do. A, they could actually do a decent movie of that. The first part. The best part of Freeman the stand is the disease going the best amazing people and the way it travels. Yeah. Especially since COVID, yeah. fantastic two part movie sort of thing. Um, and then it's the second part, Boulder, and they're building up, and then you have the big explosion. But at least you have great big crescendos that end each part. Right. Dune doesn't have a crescendo; it's all build up, and that's what's great. Uh, the build up is fantastic. The acting's fantastic, but the build up doesn't come until the second. They killed Jason that's Momoa that's off in Dune. I mean, what the fuck? I mean, that was that I mean, <laughs> he was like the plot <laughs> I was waiting for. They didn't really it's get like, him much. Because of The Hobbit in three parts, you don't really need to do that. You know, yeah, you know. The Hobbit should have been one movie. That was ridiculous. The yeah. Hobbit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you do get a book that basically has two great crescendos. You have the crescendo in the beginning and the crescendo at the end, and then you can divide that by two. But Frank Herbert does not write that way. His, you know, it's like Clan of the Cave Bar- Bear. Yeah. You know, basically, it's just one great big sweeping saga. Oh God, that was pain. I liked I liked playing the cave bear, but it got painful after a while. Well, I read those, man. Oh, God, oh my God, that was like thirty totally. years ago. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first book is fantastic because she doesn't know who she is. Once she finds yeah. out who she is and stuff like this, the next five books are just her having sex and mixing herbs to help sick people. That's pretty much it. Sex, 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 herb, herb, herb. Sex, 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 herb, herb, herb. That's well. Her. What else was there to, back to do in prehistoric <laughs> times? Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean that's what was that, sort of like for, Quest for Fire. I mean, yeah. if I, I would never <laughs> wanted to bend over on the set of Quest for Fire. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. well, you know, as far as you know, the Shining goes, I think Stanley Kubik's for me is the you know it's go, it's going to be the one. You know, it the is mini- the one. Series, it is the, the one. Series, it's it's great to have a. You know, a thing that basically very cl- the word for word for the book. Everything's pretty much scene for scene, shot for shot, almost of the book. And it's okay to have that, you know, sort of thing. Makes me wonder, but I do feel that the book actually has more of a life of its own than this miniseries. And this miniseries does suffer from that. Nineties network yeah. network television has a fault. Now, to be interesting, that in twenty twenty four we're going to get the new shining put out by. Showtime or HBO, right? right. right. And we're going to get a, and what's going to be great about that is we're going to get something with a deeper, better. It's not going to feel like Friends make a mini series or yeah, ER is doing Stephen King or that '90s gloss. That's, and I think that's what mini series suffer from. It suffers from that. This suffers from it. Um, I think the reason why the ones in the '70s work because at that time '70s TV shows have this gritty look about them. Salem's Lot has a gritty look about it. Yeah. Kojak, gritty looks. Starsky and Hutt's gritty, gritty, gritty. And, then, and that does that. 
80s, yeah. everything started going a bit shiny. And then all, all those miniseries after that became very shiny. North Because everybody was Ruth on more a- drugs. <laughs> well, there was richiness in the 70s that, that got washed away in the 80s. Um, 70s, yeah. we had roots in the 80s. Was very great. It's a, when you look at it, the film quality and everything, is very gritty. Oh, it's totally different. Totally very, different. Jesus of Nazareth even has a gritty kind of. It did, look. didn't it? But nobody could make you cry more than Olivia Hussey in that scene when they took him off the cross. I was bawling when I was watching that. I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. I prefer my Jesus and por- torture porn and Mel Gibson. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. That all that was was a Jesus snuff film, man. That yeah, really was. was. I mean, Shogun he beat his ass from the beginning of that movie until the end. Just constant human <laughs> suffering. Yeah. God, but, that was awful. And I, and I think that's what I think that's what saves the Salem's Lot because the miniseries of Salem's Lot, the new, the newer one, has that glossy look about it. it doesn't have that film quality and stuff like that that's true it is that you can yeah, tell the difference it was still good and i really liked it i liked it the newer yeah. one yeah i i like i liked it as well i like some of the stuff that they looked in it like the staircase the basement and that yeah because it was so much longer they were able to do more a little more with it and they're able to a lot less censorship going on as well at that time as well Right, the 70s got to remember it's 70s censorship sort of thing as well. And TV, you know, before cable, you ever see that that MTV video of Billy Idol dancing with myself? Yes, yes, Toby Hooper directed that. Yeah, Toby Hooper again. Yeah, wasn't that his first one? Steven Spielberg had something to do with it with the 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 special effects too. Poltergeist, yeah, no, no, for um, (laughs) Billy Idol's uh first rock video well that was a time period when when toby and and spielberg were working together so possibly yeah it was because they said it was one of steven spielberg's first like well, kind of like light show kind of things here is poltergeist isn't it in about 70 82 83 82 yeah. i want to say they were doing their thing well it's probably around the same time a lot of directors were doing a lot of um music videos at that time anyway so yeah, John Landis was doing uh, Thriller. Uh, yeah. And, and I think later, Gus Monsanto started doing them. I miss the 80s. <laughs> I miss it the was 90s. fun. I like the 90s. <laughs> a lot of your, a lot of your directors came out of doing um, David Fisher came out of doing I miss the beginning of the 90s. Yes, that was the best 90s. Yeah. yeah. But if it wasn't for music videos, you wouldn't have Ridley Scott and um, David Fisher. Yeah. That's the good thing for them. Okay, final thoughts on the miniseries Shining. Starting with you, Vix. I, I don't, I, I like it. I don't love it. But I like the characters and I like the fact that Rebecca DeMornay is just a little more badass. Um, but I understand what Kubrick was doing with Shelley Duvall, even though he made her sick and her hair fell out. <laughs> she was filming it, the poor thing. Poor but um, they're both, I, I think, Stanley Cooper. I mean, I, I could probably watch that over and over and find something new that I just, wow, you know. But the series I did like because it was different. It was closer to the book. But they both have their comings and goings and misgivings and, you know, they're, they're great points. So, I mean, it's really up to the person who's watching, you know. I mean, if you're a fan, you like it or not. But I would watch them both again. Absolutely. I, yeah. And yourself, Joe? I think uh, 
if you compare them, it's kind of unfair because they're two entirely different monsters. They are. Uh, done for different reasons in different ways. Different um, times. And yeah, different times. The, I, I think the, uh, I, the, the, the miniseries works. I, I actually like it as a companion piece to, uh, to the Kubrick film. Um, that's a good, uh, that's a good way to, I like, yeah. like Vicky, I love Rebecca DeMornay being more of a badass. Um, but I could kind of see where Kubrick was going too. Yeah. Um, I think Keith mentioned earlier, I think this movie works best if you completely divorce yourself from Stanley the Kubrick Kubrick's. version. Uh, I like them both. I mean, I love, I love the Kubrick version. The Kubrick version just has that, o- that overwhelming sense of dread that I don't think this one ever. That music, uh, the music. Well, it's, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's the music and just the feel of it. I, I just don't think this one matched it. You know, immediately something's own, wrong. <laughs> you know, immediately. But on its own. There's on something about it. It's so creepy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Kubrick version. Yeah. This one didn't feel as creepy. No. Um, but still, as its own as its own thing, I like it. Um, I just think the the comparisons to Kubrick are unfair because I mean it, it's also right, right. Mick Garris is a good is a very good director. I love a lot of his movies, but he's you know he's not Stanley Kubrick, and I don't mean that as like an insult. It's right. you know there's there's only one Michael Jordan, there's only one Wayne Gretzky, exactly. you know, and Ga- Garris is a fucking i love sleepwalkers i love critters yeah. too uh, i love a lot of his movies um but yeah when it's comparing anybody to kubrick it's gonna you're, you're gonna fall a little short I, I feel like at times and seeing these as two completely different projects is is one way to look at it seeing it as a companion instead of a, instead of a remake or a reboot or anything like that i think also works those are both good ways of looking at it though yeah i, th- I think it works either way but just yeah when, when, just don't try to see it as a remake of the Kubrick version because it's not gonna it's not gonna work in that in that regard. What about yourself, Matthew? I gotta say, man, I I don't think I cannot stand looking at that kid, dude. I just I just think he was miscast. I just it's just hard to deal with. Um, he, he's got an unusual like- look. <laughs> But it's he fine. Like it's great, you know. Pacifier into the tea, you know. Like Keith and Joe been saying, then. yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's ridiculous looking. It looks um, like Keith and Joe been saying it's it's a it's it's it stands on its own and it is what it is and it's and like you were saying, Keith, it's a it's a damn '90s television miniseries. <laughs> so you he, can't escape that. Yeah, yeah, it is a compare it to Stanley miniseries. It is, it is, it is. Uh, but. Um, the only thing I was yeah. missing was Jane Seymour. <laughs> there was no sex at all in Kubrick's. You know, at least, I don't know, it's, it's almost like, even in the book, there was like, I remember one scene where he's like fondling her breast kind of and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Like, Stephen King, sex is really bad. In he's the worst. <laughs> like Salem's Lot has got probably the most awkward, terrible sex scene ever written. <laughs> yeah. And he uses these Stephen King-isms for parts of the female anatomy. You just right. can't think of Stephen yeah. King in a romantic way anyway. I mean, That's what he said in The Shining in the book. He's like, he cupped her breath in his hand and yes. felt its heft and weight. He's like, he felt its heft and weight. That's the actual <laughs> quote. Felt its heft and weight. I, that always stuck with me. I was like, Stephen, what the fuck are you? You know, like, really? there, there well, is, I mean, he's that what you think when you hold your wife in your arms? 
Well, he's probably just thinking, well, you know, this was not his wife, you know, so he was probably doing the group group thing, you know. Every Stephen King book. Get the old kilo scale out. Embarrassing (laughs) sex scene in it. Stephen King can't write sex scenes. He can't, and he can't express the female body at all. I mean, he talks about misogyny and all this other stuff in his Twitter account. But he reading his way that he describes a woman are, is very misogynistic. I mean, absolutely. He, it wasn't Brian De Palma. I don't who think wrote, he means to. Dirty pillows. That's a Stephen King line from the book. I can see your dirty pillows. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. You know that's a Stephen Kingism. Mm-hmm. You know, but he must have went know, to he, Catholic he, school, he Watertown, New York too. He probably never got laid in school, so. Uh. That he was crazy awesome. looking when he was young. He had like the cross teeth, man. His teeth were all messed up, and he was a wild, one eye kind of going off a little bit. You see old pictures of him from college. He was he was a wild man. One eye got his teeth off fixed, and he got money. And <laughs> he looked like Ed Kemp. Ed Kemp. Uh, yes, he, he does. Did. He, he does, does, dude. He totally does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If he didn't oh write, God, horror, I can't get that picture out of my head oh, now. Please. Well, have you ever, you know, another weird thing as well. Did, did you ever, do you know who Rose and Fred and Rosemary West are? Yeah. Uh-huh. Fred, uh huh. Fred, they're terrible. Tabitha King looks like Rose West. Yes, she does. Yes. Yeah, so yes. we got like two, like Ed kept Mary's Rosemary West and we got. God, thanks, Keith. <laughs> I got that stuck in my head. No shit, man. Poor Uncle Steve. You ruined him. Uncle Steve. <laughs> That That's what they call him in the horror community. A lot of people carry out that paperback. He could have been on a, you know, he could have been one of our greatest serial killers of all time. I don't ever post in Uncle Steve's anything because you will get your ass ripped apart and eviscerated in those communities. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> when he put out the Outsider, I went. I have my little Facebook author page. Yeah, I put up a thing and I was like, "Come on, dude! It's been forty years. Can't you give it a break?" About bagging on Kubrick, and I could see my followers going dink. Dink, 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 dink. And I yeah. fucking ran over and fucking erased it, took it down. I was like, holy shit, I just lost like 10 followers in 10 minutes because of that fucking post. Gotta be careful. Yeah. People do not have a sense of humor anymore. All you gotta do is like post a picture of him on Facebook and you will get like guarantee 100 likes. Yeah. Not the one yeah. I sent Keith. I would just put a picture of Kemp. <laughs> just get a picture of like Kemp and him up and go, this is my friend Steven. Uh- <laughs> Superimpose him with Rosemary West. There's oh my god! We're probably going to start losing <laughs> slowly. Stephen and Tabitha oh. at the ball. <laughs> oh man! So oh, he's one of the most it. awful humans that's ever existed, man. Rosemary. I mean, next week we'll be having a special interview with Stephen King. <laughs> Not. <laughs> and on the other line, we have Rosemary West. <laughs> Star-cross lovers. Yep. Um, <laughs> oh god found in verona um now for me i think it's very important that when we talk about the shining that basically we have i think they need to be retitled i think we got kubik's shining and then we have stephen king's the shining which is the miniseries and i think that pretty much sums it up and they put stephen king's the shining on the miniseries that pretty much that says it right there but it's not there. a remake like like joe said it's not. It, it is it is uh, it is a make remake for the simple fact that basically it is they're both based on the same source material. This is one person's way of doing the source material, and this is another person's way of doing the source material. But there it is a remake. It's just there, there was that uh there there was an, a writing exercise that we had in uh, at the School of Visual Arts 
back in the early 2000s where one of uh, one of our uh, screenwriting professors said, I could give every single one of you the basic idea that I want you to make your next film about. And I guarantee you, when you guys come in in two weeks or however long it was, you're going to see 25 completely different movies. And that's right. basically what, yeah, that's what this is. You went to School of Visual Arts, man? I went there, too. I didn't uh, graduate. I, I went there as a non-matriculated student. So I, I was never in any of the, the day classes or anything like that. I went as a night student. Yeah, I went there back in 1990. Oh, that was not that ago. 2002. So uh, about ten, 10 or 12 years after you. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, as far as the miniseries The Shining for me, I think that Mick Garris does a fantastic job being able to do a miniseries, have to work with network television with the, what we have Absolutely. there with commercial breaks and everything like that. And you have to make sure that they are coming in every 10, 15 minutes and doing that and being able to do that. And also having Stephen King, the writer of the screenplay, the writer of the book, and the right basically being very open about his dissatisfaction with the Cubics Shining for whatever reasons. And then having him as the producer over your shoulder the whole time while you're making this film, I think they did a pretty good job keeping faithful to the book. Yeah, Mick Garris had to had a lot on his plate on this, and you could tell. And I think he pulls it off. I mean, you yeah, know, yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to see Mick Jar- Garris do The Shining for Netflix or Showtime or HBO and see how that would come out. Sort of thing. But I think for the restrictions of network television, I think a fair chance and. As I said before, for me, it's quite nice to have a faithful adaption of the novel because it's there for prosperity and it stops you. You know, I can spend five hours reading this or spend 15 hours reading the book. So, okay. <laughs> and I, I bought the DVD. Next week, we'll be discussing in our 80s, Necromatic, which will basically be dealing with sexes and corpses, and basically <laughs> what we do with our disjointed twin when they get when they become separated for us in the movie Basket Case. A little we'll podcast porn. And of course, the week after that, we'll be doing Dark Shadows. And of course, our next book to screen will be Interview with a Vampire by Anne Rice and the famous book film starring Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. And our next remakes remakes will be The Fly from 1958 and The Fly from 1986. And I'll be and back for that one we'll next month. So that's good night for myself and good night, Vicky. Night, guys. Good night, Matthew. Buenas noches. Good night, Joe. Good night, everyone. And we'll see you next week for our Strange Relationships Month while we deal with sexual corpses and disjointed. <laughs> When you left the doors, you pause in the doorway. It's the way I stole you away. I was gonna pull you away. So I run to the home, into the corridor. There's a door in the house. I hear the lift descending. I hear it hit the landing. See the house and the cat. Stay.
Yeah. <laughs> 